Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Nine minutes past nine. This is Mick Mulcahy in for the final week. Neil Prendeville returning after the uh, bank holiday Monday. So back next Tuesday. Anger as PUP stop for holidaymakers, says the examiner. Questions as well on how the state gets data to block the benefits. Daniel McConnell, their political editor, reporting that the government is reeling from fresh public anger and confusion over the rule change which has seen people lose their €350 a week pandemic unemployment payment, a PUP, after they went on holidays. In the latest gaffe to hit the month-old coalition, Taoiseach Micheál Martin said he has ordered an investigation into how the Department of Social Protection's website was changed over the weekend. Controversy has arisen after it emerged. People who flew out of the country on holidays have returned home to find their payments stopped. The Data Protection Commissioner has asked the Department of Social Protection to explain how exactly it's getting data it uses to block benefit payments. This has obviously been gathered at airports or indeed from airlines. So uh, Foley, though, is confident, uh, and some confidence is uh, rising from the government of hiring 1,000 extra teachers. How she's going to do that in four weeks is beyond me, but Juno McEnroe, is the political correspondent with the examiner and says that uh, Education Minister Norma Foley is confident 1,000 extra teachers can be hired and major building works completed on schools ahead of a new term in just a few weeks, outlining an ambitious 375 million plan for reopening 4,000 schools. The government set out a roadmap of COVID-19 outbreaks, the substitution of teachers and social distancing plans for classes gunned down on doorstep, says the uh, Mirror front page. A father shot up to eight times as Gardy Hunt, a lone assassin, a dad was blasted to death in the hallway of his family home, uh, had just returned from the UK a week ago with his elderly mother. Thomas McCarthy, 55 years of age, shot up to eight times by a lone gunman in a broad daylight attack in the Cherry Orchard suburb of West Dublin yesterday. The son has it on the front page as well. Shot dead in front of his mum. Uh, the phantom pay cut that leaves ministers better off. New Taoiseach and Cabinet will earn more and predecessors despite their 10% wage reduction. And I speak to the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, after the newspaper review just on that issue and on others as well. Uh, Royals at war. The Mirror has uh, returned to the fold someday. It's a firm no, apparently. Prince Harry and Meghan have burned their bridges and will find no way back into royal life due to a hurtful, unnecessary and destructive book about their exit from the firm, royal sources say. Uh, Palace insiders claim the couple's time as royals is done and dusted amid claims they collaborated on the book Finding Freedom. Ministers pay cut amid backlash, says the Mail front page today. All ministers and the Taoiseach are to take a 10% pay cut following the massive public uproar over a €16,000 super junior ministerial pay top-up. Michal Martin made the announcement last night following a cabinet meeting where he admitted his government should have handled the pay saga better. And moving on to the star again, Cabinet take 10% pay cut. Finance Minister admits to public anger on salaries and the allowance for the top super junior ministers, Chambers, Nocton and Hackett, uh, making all of the papers as well today. All government ministers from the Taoiseach down to ministers of state will take the cut in salary. I don't think think it's proposed for TDs, but we'll ask uh, Michael Martin, uh, Michael McGrath that. Uh, Schools have four weeks to find 1,000 new teaching staff. Front page of the independent schools are in a race against time to acquire 1,000 extra teaching staff and put all the necessary measures in place before 1 million students can safely return at the end of August. Concerns have been raised about a backlog in guard of vetting for new staff under Education Minister Norma Foley. Uh, and she's revealed that staff rooms would be bolstered by teachers from abroad and retired teachers 
hundreds of whom will never have been vetted. The government announced the bumper £375 million package to help schools get back up and running next month. This will include more than a 1,000 extra post-primary teaching posts, enhanced cleaning and hand hygiene supports and classroom bubbles, as the minister called them, for primary schools. Some schools will need to undergo building works to ensure one metre physical distancing. And it's also been revealed that uh, PE halls and GP rooms may be used as classrooms. And we'll come back to more stories uh, in the morning papers between now and 12 midday. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. It's 13 minutes past nine and I'm joined uh, on the programme by the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. Good morning, Michael. Uh, good morning to you, Mick. Oh, okay. I know you must go until 9.30, but we've locked, uh, you're here till 9.30. We're trying to use sure. the time as best we can. If Fianna Fáil had uh, done better in the election, would I now be talking to the Minister for Finance instead of a kind of a made-up minister? Uh, well, it, I know it's certainly not a made-up ministry. The Department of Finance was uh, split uh, into two. That happened as well for five years between 2011 and 2016. Uh, and it has happened now again uh, in this government. And it's a position that has huge responsibility because I am in charge of managing public expenditure, which this year will be of the order of €86 billion. Euro. Um, also, the National um, Capital Development Plan, uh, which is increasingly being rolled out and we'll spend about nine billion on that next year and then the whole public sector uh, public service reform uh, and that whole area so it's a very very broad remit and uh, there's plenty there to keep me busy i'm a political michael you kind of have to be in this job but i've made no secret of my admiration for you both both as a as a community member uh, an erstwhile neighbor i suppose we live quite close to each other You're, you are in yeah. fact the only politician who ever walked in my driveway with a leaf that's <laughs> that's beside the point that being said i have a job to do you have a job to do so let's get after it okay let's Absolutely, look let's yeah. let's look at the let's let's look at the the elephant in the room really you have defended uh, the super junior ministerial debacle here, really. Uh, I'm wondering why this wasn't handled better. It, it happens twice anyway. Uh, if Fianna Fáil were in government and the majority are in a, or, you know, in a supported government, it would happen twice anyway. But, but the fact is you have three government parties, they're strange bedfellows, and you had to keep the Green Party happy as well. Yeah, so look, I mean, we've taken a huge amount of slack uh, on the issue over the last number of days and we have to accept that and acknowledge it. But I do want to explain the issue because I think in some of the reporting it has been made out to be far more than what it actually was. I mean, the issue here was that three people were promoted to uh, Minister of State uh, attending Cabinet. Uh, Two of them were getting uh, an allowance uh, for that position. But the third person who was promoted uh, could not get the pay that was relevant for that promotion. And I think most people will understand, you know, if you get a promotion, you generally get an increase in pay. Um, That was available for two, but not for the third, because there was uh, a legal block on that in legislation. And so what we decided to do was to remove that and to replace uh, the number two, which was in um, that particular act, uh, with the number number three three. to allow the third person to be treated the same as the other two. But like it got reported that this was a bump up in pay for three junior ministers. Which which it was, but but, but two already exist. Well, no, well, two already, two already had it. Yeah. Uh, it was about a third person um, uh, getting the level of pay uh, that was relevant for their promoted position. So it was about one, it wasn't about three, and it was about ensuring that one was 
treated the same as the other two and got to pay for that promotion. But look, it caused huge grief and uh, I would acknowledge that. Uh, it was made out to be something, I think, a lot more than it actually was. But um, we have to take that on board and um, and respond to uh, the public view of that issue. Okay, Leo Varadkar as Taoiseach chose not to implement the 4% per annum pay increase agreed the Haddington Road Agreement. Is that now coming into place? Sorry, just clarify that, Mick, for, the, the for him. Four, the 4% for, per annum pay increase agreed in Haddington Road was not uh, was not taken up or implemented by Leo Varadkar. I'm asking because if it's still coming into place, sure. uh, it dwarfs what, you're, what the, the 10% you're suddenly taking off. So you're talking here about pay for members of government, I assume. Uh, newspaper yeah. reports today say that Michal Martin yeah. will be paid almost 1,500 more as Taoiseach, ministers 1,000 more as Taoiseach, uh, despite announcing a 10% pay cut because of Haddington Road. So the the previous government for the past number of years um, opted to not accept the pay restoration that every other public servant was getting uh, under the public service pay agreement. Um, And, you know, that added up over a period of time. It was a very complicated way of doing it. Uh, And so a decision had to be made when uh, a new government was formed, uh, how to deal with the issue of pay for members of government uh, and ministers. In the absence of doing nothing, uh, everyone would have been paid uh, the full amount, uh, the official salary for Taoiseach, Taunish, the Minister, Minister of State, and so on. And so a decision was made that we would go for uh, a straight 10% pay cut uh, of the official level of pay. And then in addition to that, that we would not accept the 2% increase in pay that is due to all public servants uh, and uh, politicians uh, on the 1st of October. So in effect, it is uh, a 12% reduction in pay from the official level of pay. So I think the point you're making is that it's um, it's slightly different to what the previous government had done. Um, and what they had done was it was a very complicated way of doing it. Uh, and we took the view that it was far simpler and more straightforward uh, to take a cut off the actual official salary, which is what we're doing. That brings it broadly into line to what it was under the previous government. But in addition to that, then, we're not taking the 2% uh, in October. And so um, I, I think it's, it's pretty clear what's, what's being done. Okay, not 20% like Jacinta Ardern and, and uh, all of her top colleagues in New Zealand, just 10%. Well, I think I think their pay cut is time limited. Uh, to six months. Knowledge. Yeah, six months. Uh, yeah, six months. We haven't put a time limit on this. Uh, to be fair, and I don't think there'll be any, any increase anytime soon, and nor should there be, Mick, because you know we are in a very privileged position, and we are there um, by virtue of the support that we get from the people, and it is a great honour to serve in government. And I'm certainly not there for the money. I never have been. Uh, that has never been my motivation to be involved in politics. I'm not concerned uh, about pay. I would much rather that we, you know, we're talking about the things we did last week in announcing the job stimulus and explaining what it does to, to businesses in Cork so that they fully understand how they can benefit from it uh, and of course the issue of getting people back to school but look this is the cut and thrust of politics. Okay. These issues need to be dealt with. Uh, it's been a bumpy start I would accept that um, but um, you know we are determined uh, to, to, to move on and to deal with the issues um, as I and others have been doing for the last four weeks in agreeing the, the funding for all of the things that we've uh, agreed. But essentially and just to put it on the record you guys are going get, to be, be getting paid more after the 10% reduction than your counterparts were in the last government under Leo Varadkar because of this. You're still going to be getting more money. 
Well, uh, very marginally. I think it's in the region of a thousand, fifteen hundred euro. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you're, so you're not taking a, a cut compared to the last. No, no. I just want to get that on the record. Okay. Now, no, let's, let's, let's no, just just bear, just let me just explain. But on top of that, we're not taking the two percent pay increase then uh, in October, and so I think for a minister, that's a further three and a half thousand euro or so that has not been taken. But for those so who are taking twenty percent, twenty five percent cuts, you know, people like who work with me here uh, and who don't get a chance to vote on their own salaries and decide their own salaries. I just wanted to make that clear. Let, let's look at, uh, no, I know, it, I know in your personal situation, Michael, your father of seven children, uh, and uh, I don't want to be disparaging about anybody, but, uh, you know, I've come across some clowns in my 30 years doing this, but I reserve a special place in my affection for, um, for the leader of the Green Party. How, how would you, as a family man with seven children, propose to share a vehicle uh, with 30 or 40 other, other families, say, in Carrigaline, where you live? Well, just one final point on the other issue just covered. We don't get to decide our own pay um, unless we want to cut it. Um, so that's the, that's the reality there. We don't get to decide to increase our own pay. Uh, pay moves in line with the overall public service pay deal, which is agreed between the trade unions and the government. And immediately after this interview, I'll be meeting with the public service unions to start initial discussions on where public okay. pay is going to the future. So just know it's important to say that we don't decide our own pay unless we're going to cut it. All right. Um, as, as, a, as I had to last week, done. Michael, with, with Simon Coveney, I have to speed up yeah. and I have to ask for fast answers. Uh, how, how would you... F- feel about his uh, um, Eamon Ryan's proposal of sharing cars you're, you're a family man with seven children how, how would that ever work by what complete moral community public disconnect did this man make that statement let's share 300 people can share 10 cars in a village what if your mum was sick and had to go to hospital what if the keys were left somewhere in someone else's house it's just, it just beggars belief to the best of my knowledge, Mick, you're referring to something that was said was it over the course of the, the election. In the course of the election. Ryan? In the course of the yeah, election. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, obviously I don't agree with that. And that's not in the programme for government. You know, we spent many weeks negotiating, agreeing a programme for government, uh, which is a roadmap for what we intend to do over the next five years in government. And that's not in it. Okay, so look, a strange in, bedfellows, in, though, in, Michael, for, you know. You, you are, in case anyone doesn't understand, a member of Fianna Fáil, you are a soldier of destiny. Uh, you're, you are now um, government bedfellows with Fine Gael, your mortal enemies. And uh, people who believe that they can tax the Irish state, out of, uh, the Irish citizen out of existence to save the planet, that's beside the point. Let's look at special advisors. Um, 87 to 101 grand a year for these special advisors. Now, notwithstanding the Taoiseach needs a special advisor, probably the Taoiseach needs special advisors. Uh, Antonish is going to have an aide-de-camp as well, but Eamon Ryan is going to have two, not one, but two joint chiefs of staff. This flies in the face of everything that, you know, people voted for change, they didn't get it. But but this is really, really going to rancor them. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I read the article at the weekend uh, in the same way that you did about the number of advisors that Minister Ryan um, has and, and may actually increase the number two. So I saw in relation to two joint chiefs of staff the option of further advisors within his leader's office, which I don't believe have been appointed. Certainly that wasn't referred to. Um, and then advisors as, as a minister, which is what you're, you're, you're entitled to, a senior minister's entitled to two advisors. Um, I've appointed one uh, person at this point in time who is absolutely ran off his feet to do jo- to do the job he needs to do. So the, it was agreed that given that there are three parties in government, 
uh, that there would be an office within the uh, Taoiseach's department for uh, the leader of the Green Party. He has a very important role to play in this government. He has very important responsibilities in the portfolio that he is managing uh, in tackling uh, the issue of climate action uh, and responsibility overall for for transport, road transport, public transport. Uh, It is going to be uh, a period of transformative change in all of those areas, so he does need support um, and it is it is for him to decide um, what level of resources that he needs uh, under the okay. Taoiseach's department within his office uh, to fulfil those responsibilities. Michael, I don't have enough time. I've got five minutes with you now, so so, so let's that special advisor's put aside. You're still renting that huge conference centre uh, in Dublin while expecting the kids to go back to school in four weeks. What about the €8,000 pay rise that the councillor's got to support this government that really nobody nobody voted for? Uh, well, they haven't got that pay rise um, at this point in time, Mick. I think what you're referring to there is uh, a report that was prepared by uh, Sarah Moorhead uh, into remuneration levels for local authority members. That has not been implemented. She recommended a series of changes. Yes, an increase in the representational payment, which is a taxable payment that they receive, but she also recommended changes in the system of expenses uh, that would not be favourable. And so so, you know, those measures have not been implemented. We'll consider that report okay. um, and move towards implementing it in the period ahead. But that, that, has not, that has not happened. Your own Billy Kelleher went to Brussels, came back, didn't quarantine, went to meetings in the Dáil. Uh, you know, didn't get any sanction, didn't get any allowances or any pay cuts or restrictions or anything like that. Now, uh, it seems the government are, are targeting those on, on pandemic unemployment payment by, and I don't know how, surreptitiously getting information from airlines or from the airports uh, and cutting pandemic unemployment payments. I also believe a very slight change was made to legislation signed by the minister uh, and not yet debated or voted on in the Dáil, though Paul Murphy's calling for it. Uh, that now has changed. Those who were on job seekers allowance who were entitled to a holiday are no longer entitled to leave the country. Surely this is uh, stripping those in unemployment assistance of their payments because they leave the state for a holiday they paid for already cannot be right. Well, uh, first of all, my understanding is that there wasn't any information surreptitiously received by anyone. Uh, in- inspectors from the Department of Social Protection uh, were actually at the airport um, and spoke to people and got their details, their PPS number, um, voluntarily and made their own inquiries. That's my understanding of yeah, what happened. The people not didn't have to give, give their information and they didn't yeah, know Yeah, I think that's yeah. true. I think that's true. Um, now, look, we should acknowledge, I mean, the pandemic unemployment payment, you know, was and remains a vital lifeline for people who lost their job through absolutely no fault of their own and we have made the decision that it will be phased out over a long period of time out to next April and you have to compare that Mick with you know the 200,000 odd people who are currently on the live register many of whom lost their job in January and February of this year and who are on 203 euro per week so there is that different treatment already between people depending on exactly when they they lost their job the reality is that the public health advice at the moment, as you know, is for people uh, not to travel. Uh, the overall message from government is stay at home, holiday at home this year uh, if you can. That is what the recommendation is. Um, if people are travelling abroad out of necessity, you know, to, to see somebody who's ill, or in the case of a bereavement or any other exceptional circumstance, uh, 
they, there will be no impact on their social welfare payment whatsoever. Okay, you can, um, okay, I, you can see the disconnect and why people are angry. Just I, a couple I, of more I, questions, but Michael. The, but the minute, yeah, no, you're okay. And look, I, I can go on extra time. Oh, can you? Okay. I can wait a okay. while. Yeah, I mean, the minister has made the point that um, most of the people, I think it's 104 people in total who were on the pandemic payment who got cut off subsequently, they were actually leaving the country for good. They weren't, they weren't staying in Ireland and that's why they were cut off. And I'm sure we'll get a further breakdown of that. But like, we've all heard the anecdotes of people abroad, based abroad, claiming that money and none of us want that to happen. Mm. We, we want taxpayers' money. It should be well spent. And, you know, there will always be, you know, an amount of compliance activity by the Department of Social Protection. Um, you know, we have spent so far about three billion euro on that pandemic unemployment payment. That was the right thing to do because it supported families and individuals at a really tough time when they lost their job and you know we'll continue to make those payments okay. but those payments should go to the people who are entitled to them not to people who are not entitled. Right. Gardaí can demand a name and address if they have reasonable suspicion you've committed a road traffic or public order offence but sources suggested here that people were stopped at airports had simply been requested to give their names, addresses and PPS numbers and had complied per, per, perhaps unaware that yeah. they didn't have to. Now speaking of holidays Politicians are going to take a six-week break from next Thursday. COVID-19 and protracted negotiations between you guys in the government now paralyzed Dole proceedings for months in the wake of the February election. A total of 140 days went by without a working majority being formed in the House. After Hall's elevation, there have been three weekly sittings of three Doyle days each, along with a four-day week. We are in the middle of the biggest pandemic the world has seen in 100 years and possibly steering down the tracks at the biggest recession this country will ever see. And you guys, a month in, are taking six weeks off from next Thursday. Um, well, the government certainly isn't. I can assure you of that. We will be having uh, a cabinet meeting next week. Um, I'll be here right up to Friday evening uh, this week because we have not to have ministerial council, the first one in three and a half years, because we had no Stormont Assembly for three years uh, when it was collapsed by, by the parties up there. The cabinet will be meeting next week uh, in Dublin. A decision will have to be made on moving to phase four of the roadmap of reopening the country. As you know, the pubs were not allowed to open on the 20th of July. Um, that issue needs to be dealt with and then we will all be working with um, the Minister for Education, Norma Foley to make sure that the plan announced yesterday um, and I was very much involved in, in the funding for that and that we had a lot of discussions in recent weeks but we, we will all be working together to make sure that that plan yeah. is implemented and that the schools reopen fully at the end of August in a safe manner and so that will be our priority in the month of August to be honest um, but we will be continuing to work right through even though the doll will not be sitting. Couldn't work without two metres being reduced to one metre, as we predicted on this programme. Will the bars get the same uh, acknowledgement on on the uh, 10th of August, one metre? Well, that remains to be decided. We will be considering that issue next week. And I, I really do feel for all the publicans who have had their livelihoods just turned upside down. Uh, they were the first businesses to close in many cases. And I've been the most um, compliant was, since, to be honest. Yeah, no, I accept that. And they'll be the, the last to open. Uh, and um, that should be acknowledged. It's been an incredibly tough time for them. A decision will be made uh, on that next week. But equally, make, you know, I make no apologies for saying that our priority is to get the schools uh, reopened. Uh, and the, the main reason why uh, the pubs were not allowed to open um, uh, last week is because we did not want to put that at risk, uh, the reopening of schools and getting all of our children back into school. Like our country is not going 
to begin to function in any way normally until we have the schools reopened fully and we have childcare facilities up and running and that will allow people who have a job to go back to to go back to work and it will you know allow people to have more disposable income to spend in pubs and restaurants and so look the publicans do need support I mean what we announced last week will be a real benefit to them a full waiver of rates for a six month period um, a further uh, business support grant so if they had a rates bill of of 10,000 euro last year they already would have got a grant of 10,000 euro we will now give them a further 10,000 euro if they paid tax last year we are allowing them now to set off their losses this year against that and basically to get that tax back so there's a whole range of measures including the VAT reduction which will benefit them as well and so like that's why we worked hard for the first four weeks to have a package of over 5 billion euro uh, of expenditure and taxation measures that will be of direct benefit uh, to so many different sectors and to consumers as well. So the government will still be running the country even though you're taking a six-week recess. Uh, one, one quick question from a listener. Is the Christmas bonus safe this year across the social welfare and disability areas? Um, yeah, look, it would be it would be my intention to make sure that that is paid. Um, it's never provided for in an annual budget, and that is something that um, I'd like to address. Um, it's always a discretionary payment. Uh, it's not in law, so there's no requirement on government, but it has always been paid, even in pretty bad times, um, and it would be our intention to do that again. Michael, Fianna Fáil have to uh, navigate this, you know, these next two and a half to five years very carefully. Uh, of course, the ballot box will, will decide your, your future fate. There may be an amalgamation of the parties. I'm not asking you to speculate on that. But a question I didn't get to ask Simon Covey last week is, you would appear to be, and he would appear, appear to be, the heir apparent to your respective parties. Do you see two more cock teaching in the near future? Notwithstanding giving me all his chance now. Uh, look, Michal is just a month in, in the job and, you know, to be fair to the man, uh, he, you know, it has been a, a bumpy enough start for the government, but we've got a lot done as well at the same time. Uh, and he has led from the front on all of the main issues, um, the job stimulus, uh, the reopening of schools, getting that plan in place, uh, the deal that he struck in Europe uh, after, I think, about four days of tortuous negotiations over there on the next EU budget and securing um, massive grant support for Ireland in the next number of years. So I think he's done a huge amount in the, in, in the first month. And um, as you know, the plan is that out to the end of 2022, uh, Michal will remain uh, as Taoiseach and then there will be a change. Uh, as have your leadership uh, ambitions, uh, Michael? Will come back in. Have your party leadership um, ambitions? I haven't made any. I haven't made any life-changing decisions on that front. Make I love it, political um, answers. Said, Never no, get well, a straight I'll answer. You, well, I'll tell you the truth. Um, the truth is that that's a bridge I'll cross when I come to it. Okay. As you've already acknowledged, um, I have a young family and a large family, and you know that will be a factor too, of course. Um, but it is it is a great privilege, first of all, to be a TD. It is the honour of my life to be serving in government and I will do the very, very best I can to represent the people of Cork and the country uh, at that level. And um, life has taught me, uh, as you well know, about the twists and turns that can happen in your life, in your family life, um, losing loved ones and so on. And to be making, you know, speculative political plans several years out um, is pretty fruitless. That's a fair answer. I I know know you've lost... uh I know you lost yeah. your brother near, near and dear, and what a character he was as well. Uh, yeah. uh, it was remiss of me not to congratulate you on your ministerial elevation at the very start. So uh, welcome to your first ministry, Thanks, uh, Michael McGrath. And um, hopefully that wasn't true. Come here, it's a bit of a different vibe than chipping in from the opposition side, isn't it? I'm sure it is, but look, it is very different, but it's a great place to be because you can actually get things done. 
and like I have had a hectic four weeks uh, since coming into uh, to office I know I had a long enough apprenticeship as a TD and as a finance spokesperson um, but you know that was a pretty frustrating place to be for a long part of it too because you'd be calling things out but not really getting a whole lot done you know you get certain things over the line but in government like I was directly involved in that job stimulus plan last week and I made you know I contributed to changes in that that I know will make a real difference for people so I don't know how long I will be a minister or how long I'll be in government or how long I'll be in politics but for long as I am here I do intend to make my mark and make a difference to the people I represent. And let's hope we, uh, you make a mark for Cork as well as well as on Taoiseach uh, that you know we can get those roads done McCroom bypass get the Limerick thing sorted and finally get the finally get yeah. that that event centre done and finish up down in Dunkettle where we need that, that spaghetti junction done as quick as possible. Yeah, well, look, people can rest assured um, that I'll be keeping a very close eye on the progress of different projects. Uh, that falls directly under my responsibility um, because I am in charge of um, uh, capital investment across the country. Uh, and there are some projects in the system, uh, and we'll make sure that they continue to move through uh, and actually move to construction. Uh, the first one that will be likely to happen will be the Dunkettle Interchange. As you know, that was retendered. Um, that's at a very advanced stage, and I'm watching that very closely to make sure that issues like that do not gather dust anywhere. They keep moving through the system after we have contractors on site and to start building the projects that we need in Cork. All right, Michael, thanks for staying on the extra minutes. I know you had another appointment at 9.30, so I appreciate you staying on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, thanks Michael, Michael McGrath, Minister for Public Bye. Expenditure on the Neil Prendeville Show. This is the Neil Prendeville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And you can call us on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. Text line or WhatsApp line is 0868104106. And the email, as always, is neil at redfm.ie. Good morning, Vincent. Hello, Vincent. Hi, Vincent. Yes, sir. Hello, sorry, bad line there. Okay. Uh, you wanted to ask the question, why are old, old age pensioners still paying for their is prescriptions? That, is that me? It is indeed. Oh, good morning, Michael. Good. I tried to get a word in there before, uh, before, before uh, Michael McGraw went, you know. Uh, we didn't get any rise in the last budget, the old age pensioners. We got 50 cents in the name of God Almighty. 50 cents for old age pensioners, you know. You wouldn't give it to a child, you know. And that 50 cents is supposed to be taken out from the first of July for prescriptions. And they still haven't been taken. I'm going to pay 20 quid now today for my wife and my, myself for prescriptions. And, and, and you're, you're saying that, that the, the proposed um, reduction of 50 cent per prescription has not been applied yet? No, what is supposed to be taken off on the 1st of July? Well, you know, uh, Donnelly, the, the new minister for, for, for health, he hasn't signed it off yet. What a cheek to have. And given Bertie Helm and RDX Taoiseach 3,500 a week. A week they're getting. Yeah, but they, they took their official drivers in, in most cases from the ex Taoiseach well, so they should be taken away too. All the cash is taken away from, uh, and they get the car from, from Veradica. What does he want the car for now? What does he want an aide de camp for, I'm wondering? Uh, anyway. Can't you surprise his own car? We, we will check into that for you with the Department of Health, okay? To find out when and if that will be applied retrospectively. All in right, this, Vincent? In this, small, in this small country, imagine, there's no man in this country uh, worth three and a half thousand a week. A week, imagine. A week for doing nothing. And, and, the, old, and the old age pensioners then are offered 50 cents and they won't even take that off. 
Okay, so we will yeah. we will check the Department of Health on that one for you. Okay, Vincent, uh, we've got yeah. Carmel on line two. Hi, Carmel. Good morning, mate. How are we? Very good. Did you enjoy that interview? I did. I did. Well, I didn't hear much of it now because I'm on hold. Yeah, My- Michael is a nice, very nice guy and a very capable guy, an accountant by trade, and a very affable person. And you know what's nice, nice about him? I've heard it on a number of occasions from people that work in the hospitality industry. That's when he eats with his family, he's a generous tipper, and, and that's a good sign of a man as well. But look, he's in a tough job right now, and tough questions have to be answered. Who are you talking about now, Michael McGrath? Yeah, he's in his first ministerial role, but he's getting paid well enough to answer the hard questions. Cork, Cork, you had him, you had him on the run. He was next in line. For Minister for Finance. He was, but Fianna Fáil yeah, called listen, badly. Now. Hold on, hold on. And Micheál Martin's agenda all along was, I want to be Taoiseach. Look at the top three jobs, Mick. Leo Varadkar is Tornister. Pascal O'Donoghue retained his Minister for Finance. That's two Fianna Gael members. And Micheál Martin, of course, is Taoiseach. He's the most hated man in Cork because he's sold out. Fianna Fáil, they're the lowest in history on the poll at the moment and you mark my words Fianna Gael will bring them down because they have the opportunity now because they're at the rising in the polls Yeah, I, I would concede that Tornishta and Minister for Finance are the uh, number two and number three jobs uh, yeah. and that, you know, okay, Michal has the number one job, but then you go down to number four and that would would, would arguably be uh, probably Michael McGrath, because it's kind of a it's kind of a joint minister for finance role, uh, public expenditure. He's handling all the capital expenditure for the country, so he's in, he's pretty in, he's in a pretty good position to to maintain uh, you know his reputation as a nice and efficient guy, and he can wait in the wings if you like for any leadership challenge should he ever wish to. Uh, he's, he's a nice guy, yeah, but he's taken big bucks for being a nice guy. The, the government has only been formed about four or five weeks, and now nothing will move for the next six weeks. My pop, my my my, my call here this morning is regarding those inspectors at the airport for people with COVID nineteen payments taking off their payments for the going holidays. Does that mean that the people that are out of work, the working class people that maybe have lost their jobs, some are probably waiting to return to their job, are not allowed to go out of the country, stay at home and spend the money at home? Is that is that what this government is telling the people of this country? Well, that's paying. There there was a subtle change made over the weekend to the legislation. It wasn't voted on in the Doyle, and uh, Paul Murphy, whom we're hoping to speak to tomorrow, he's not available today, uh, is is trying to put a motion before the Ciarán Corla for this to be debated today, right? Uh, If you were on um, Job Seekers Allowance, up to, I would believe, last Sunday when this was subtly changed, uh, of course you have the right to go abroad. So now what we're looking at is people on pandemic unemployment assistance, the pandemic unemployment payment, who lost their jobs. Let's say, for instance, you work in a bar. You now know that the bars aren't opening again until the 10th of August and you have the last week of July and the first week of August paid for from your work, uh, which you pay tax on, and that yeah. ho- holiday is coming up. And now, let's just say for the, for the purposes of the argument, it's to a green-listed country. You now have, right. it would seem, uh, social welfare officers trolling around airports looking for people's PPS numbers. And it's yeah. possible that if you now only, if you go in breach of the government regulations... But the government advisory is not to travel. So even if you travel to a green list country and you pay for your holiday on taxed earnings, you could lose your pandemic unemployment payment. I don't think it's constitutional. There's going to be a lot more about it. But what beggars belief is that there could be this disconnect between the ruling classes of this country and the working classes yeah, that, to exactly. deny people their, their hard earned holidays. I know the advisory is for people's safety, but some people will choose to go and that is their right.
Oh, there's no right to go and handle it, but this is dictatorship you're talking about. This is telling people, because we're giving you a pandemic payment of COVID-19 of 350, whether that's dropped down or not, you stay at home, we're advising you stay at home, but if you go on holidays, we'll take it back off you. That's dictatorship, mate, uh, Mick. Yeah, but there's, you there, know it, there, I know there's it. a subtle difference between, and a huge difference, actually, between, between job seekers allowance, where you must be available to work. You could always declare to the Department of Social Welfare that you're going into two weeks' holidays. But now what they're saying is, because we're playing, paying you the PUP, uh, they're also kind of saying, no, you must be available for work. But it, these people are still available for work, but their jobs aren't open yet. Well, I'm, you, these people are waiting to go back to work. You're still they're available for work, but you're entitled to, to a holiday. You know. Of course you are. You're, everyone is entitled to a holiday. Everybody in this country that pays tax, there are actually the COVID-19 that have not, well, they won't be paying tax now. But when you look at it, they're being fined for going on a week's holidays. I know, and and you'd wonder these special advisors who make eighty-seven to one hundred one thousand. There's going to be about seventeen of them in the department of the Taoiseach. There's three cozy offices now: one for the Taoiseach, one for the Tornister, and one for Eamon Ryan. And all and of the seventeen advisors will be worked. And, and seventeen Eamon advisors Ryan, and the cost of it. Let's yeah. let's average it out. A cost of about one point five million a year. Uh, would you think they'd have a media advisor to tell them, "Look, this is not going to fly. People are going to get angry." Yeah, he's just saying, Mick. It all boils down to people need to fight back. They're doing it because they're low to get away with it. And it's all about politics in this country. It's corrupt to the core. They're not robbing the country. They've raped the country. We have nothing left. They sent a lot of inspectors there now to the airport conveniently, catching people that are on COVID-19. Why didn't they send people to the airport when all the Americans were coming through with most from, from the more affected areas? You Texas, Dallas, Florida, coming in riddled with the virus, and we're sitting ducks in this country waiting for the virus to come in five months. Not to mention the months. not to mention the strawberry pickers. Carmel, I have to leave it there because we're backed up for time because of the long interview with Michael. Chris, good morning. Hello, Chris. Hello. How are you? I'm good. You want to talk about the sixteen thousand pay rise? I do. Yes. Am I on our? Yes, you are. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. Um, um, I agree with the last speaker, actually, everything she said, she's wonderful. Um, I have to say that the 16,000 pay rise is more than, it's 4,000 more than what the old age pensioners in this country are getting. And that's the pay rise. Yes. The top up. It's more than what we, you know, sorry, I turned out the radio. It's more than what we get in the year. I mean, is that wrong or right? But you know, you know what, where the focus is going to come here now? Because, like, the the 10% pay cut for the super junior ministers who are on 124 will be either 12,400 or, if they get the 16,000 on top, will be 14 grand. That's okay? right, I know that. Yeah, yeah but they're I still going that. to be making more money than they would have been without the increase. And yeah, they're going to add yeah. in Haddington Road on top of it, they're going to be making more money again. Yes. The thing is, it's what we're, what we're dealing with here, the centralist party greed. Nothing else, only, only greed. In actual fact, 17, 17 advisors. How many had Leo Veradka? He had Chris Dunn, who played the, he, he had him, actually, that guy that used to be on the radio. He, they had all, they have all these advisors. And can I just say about Sam Coveney is concerned, and, and I know Michael Creed was bunking him up there, how great he is. He's, he has, he has retained his driver, his guardy driver in his car. 200,000 years, that's going to cost you and me. 200,000 a year. And by the way, just a, a figure that, that very few might have missed since since our great, um, what's his name, Bertie Hearn, 
retired. He, we have spent four hundred and twenty-one thousand seven hundred and sixty-nine on on sectarian special assistance for Aaron since he left office. Sectarian special assistance? How do yes. you mean? The secretary. Oh, secretarial. I thought you said yes, sectarian. Secretarian. I could have said it. <laughs> secretarial. Okay. Yep. All right, I gotta, I gotta leave it there, Chris, because we're backed up know, with calls. No, but the point is, I do agree. I do agree that that lady is right. We should do something about it. We put them in there. I didn't. I didn't, incidentally. But I am raging over this because they're walking us, and they did very little for the old people in the nursing homes, etc. To be quite honest with you, they don't come out of us at all. All rosy. They're an absolute disgrace. Thanks for that, Chris. Well done. Thank you very much. Okay, I uh, need to take a break. We'll come back to Elaine in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. It is six and a half minutes to ten o'clock. You're with the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Uh, Elaine, thanks for holding. Hi. You're disappointed with Michael McGrath? Totally. He was the only one I actually gave a vote to, Mick. The only you know, regular party, because I just, I went the complete opposite way. I went Sinn Féin the whole week because I wanted change. And I gave him one because I had faith in him and he just threw it all out the window. Why? How dare he justify their their increases? I'm telling you here, and I'm like, as that last woman said, the pensioners aren't even getting that. And, it, and it's a pay rise and he's trying to pretend that they're actually losing money. Yeah, I, I, no, in, in, in a way, he said, Mick, to you that we don't make the decisions on our wages. We only accept a pay cost, whether we will or we not accept. Have they ever accepted a pay cost? They voted for yeah. one, which which will which will in effect uh, really not matter at all because uh, exactly. o- other overriding agreements will will exactly. make sure they get and more. He, and he thinks he's like, oh Lord, but oh no, we can, we do not make decisions. Of course, they make their decisions on their own wages. I am just shocked and so mad at him. Well, as I said to him, it's 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 different now. You you can you can cultivate your reputation as a nice guy and an efficient public service much more uh, easily from the opposition benches than you can in government. In government, you're going to be taking the salvos. I don't care, Mick. They went in with all this new. If we actually even go back to that first interview with what's his name, the leader, I'm actually forgetting him, Martin, Michael Martin. Mm-hmm. They were never ever going to politics for Fianna Gael. You everyone have seen that. So from day one, they've been lying again. And I hope to God they don't last two months. I really do. Well, there's a lot of ifs. If I suppose if Sinn Féin had fielded more candidates, or yes. uh, if Leo hadn't called the election, not knowing the pandemic was about to hit us, and and mm-hmm. you know with, with their controlling of uh, of the narrative, if you like, around. I mean, Tony Holohan became the most powerful man in the history of the state. Yes, um, I actually did think he did a great job. Yeah, but like that, we had Varadkar and Simon Harris bathing in, in that glory as well. They probably would have done better at a, at a later election than they would have at the earlier one. The two of them, dumb and dumb, and make don't get me started. I am. <laughs> no, I thought it was going to be wonderful. The first gay prime minister is such, and he let me down as well. I'm telling you now, I'm just sick of it. I'm allergic to them. Plus, I told you the other guy, we're due to fly to Canada. You probably saw that. Oh, yeah, you want to talk about British Airways, is it? Yeah, seventeenth yep. of August. And we wrote them last week about getting a refund because we're advised not to fly. No, no, no. Get on to the embassy. We got on to the embassy yesterday by email because they're busy with COVID. They can't take on. And they said no foreign nationals allowed into our country. So we went back, BA, and we were told that's not their problem. They are still flying the flight. So oh, no, now you're caught between a rock and a hard place because the flight yeah. is going and you, you have a choice to get onto it. But if you, if, 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 you do, if you do, you'll be turned back. 
but they'll still maintain, sorry, uh-uh, we're flying the flight. If you're not on it, that's your problem. If you're not on it, it's Justin Trudeau and his government are saying you, you can't come in, but we're flying the flight yes. that you bought, so you're not getting your money back. Yes. Like, that is disgraceful. It well. really, really, I'm talking about, I can't get a voucher. But I have a wedding family wedding next year, Mick. We won't be going on holidays next year. And the voucher will only last one year, is it? They'll give it up in April 22, and our wedding is November next year, and they want me to be ready again to go in April. I just couldn't justify it. I can't finance that. Yeah, well, you'll have the flights if you take the voucher. All you need is your spending money that you're not spending now. Yeah, but it's just this this year was our year to do with me. And Mick, you're going to have no. We were going out for one week because we went out to our daughter to surprise her for her birthday. So we're actually going out for one week and we must self-isolate for two weeks out there. I you can't do that either. And self-isolate exactly. on the way back, probably. All right. Yes. Elaine, thanks no, for holding and, and thanks for those no, points. Disappointed in Michael McBride. Thank so. you. Thanks yes. a million. Thank Cheers. you very much. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. And a very good morning to you at six minutes past ten. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. John, good morning. Hey, good morning, Mick. How are you, sir? Grand, thank you. Um, no, I won't keep it very long, but um, I had a bit of a crisis there. Recently, I had a power failure in the house, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had to send for the electrician. And about two hours later, there was uh, the doorbell rang. I opened the door and there were four men outside the door. And uh, I knew the electrician. said, I, who are these men? Well, these are my three advisors, he said. <laughs> well, I said, I'm only paying for you. Listen, I got a great idea. Why don't we just elect the advisors? They, they seem the advisors and the civil servants seem to be running the country with the uh, you know the yeah but what's the doing? ceremonial positions being what's being given to those we elect. A dangerous trend I notice is that the amount of journalists who suddenly become ministerial advisors. You know, yeah, you, you you'd think you, you'd think if that was the case, they, they would be handling things a little better than really really angering the public um, one time I after know, another the optics are all wrong aren't they really uh, and, but, um, and if, if Leo had all the spin doctors you know and, and maybe this is the result of not having enough spin how do you mean the, the fact that the public are so angry four weeks into this new tenure as, as, uh, of this government yeah. Uh, you know, with, with, with debacle after debacle, the, you know, the, the 16 grand thing was handled badly. That could have been packaged very easily. It always happens that two super juniors get elevated to the same pay. This time there are three bedfellows, they needed a third one to keep Eamon Ryan happy. Uh, it just was, and, and, but the way it came out was that, oh, we're elevating three. They were elevating two anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? But I'm, I'm just drawing attention to the amount of journalists who suddenly turn spin doctor. I mean, what to expect from journalists is serious questioning of government. But if they're sort of uh, hunting for some jobs in the government, they won't be very questioning, will they? You know, it's a serious reflection on our journalists, I think. It's true, but, you know, the, the, the whole job as a journalist these, these days is, is fraught with uncertainty as well, John. Uh, a, a lot of the stuff is going online. Uh, a lot of the newspaper jobs yeah. are just not there anymore and not paying enough anymore. Well, what I'm, what I'm drawing attention to isn't so much, that's one, another aspect, of course, but what I'm drawing attention to is um, the, the approach of journalists, uh, how um, impartial are they and to what extent are they serious. We never seem to get the real questions answered. And I notice on RT in particular, they ask questions, the answers they get are ridiculous, but they never pursue it. They just leave it at that then, you know. Mm. There's a, a reluctance to, to really interrogate 
ministers and to hold them to account. That's what I'm drawing attention to. Okay, so elect the advisors, you say. I don't include yourself in that, by the way. I'm I'm only an innocent bystander. I I just come in and and chip in a couple of weeks a year. Very good job, you're all right. You're doing a great job. Thanks very much, John. Thank you. very much for bringing me, right? Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Dan, good morning. Hello, Dan. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad, mate. Uh, listen, I would love to give uh, Michael McGrath a small bit of advice, right? And he'd save a lot of money. He should go away and abolish all these massive uh, inquiries straight away and, and reduce all the legal fees and the barristers' massive legal fees and reduce all the, the every all the consultants, not to make a consultant, the other consultants they bring in, they're paying them mass amount of money. I came across an article there, there, there some time ago where there was three barristers among the tribunals. One who got nine million, another got eight million, another got six million, and they even charged one of one of the barristers in the tribunals. They were all found, and they charged us for a, a box of chocolates. <laughs> A uh, box of chocolates to charge us for. Legitimate expenses, I wonder? Of course. A box of chocolate. Well, my, my, Michael McGrath is now the Minister for Public Expenditure, and I suppose just as well as that, it covers the capital expenditure and you know waving right, the flag, yeah. waving the flag when when you know when you, you open the new Dunkel Interchange or something, because I'm the minister that essentially right, paid yeah. for it. I, I suppose it also under his remit, he should be looking at the uh, public wasteful public expenditure that might be going exactly, on. Exactly, Mike. Exactly, Mike. Exactly that. Because and you had three women on there before lunch or before break there at ten o'clock. And uh, they said all the things that I would say. The amount of money that's wasted in the country, and they would, they would, they would take money off of the pensioners then again straight away. And I, I, I'm actually a pensioner myself. And uh, the amount of money that's wasted in the country. I came across an article there, some in the government between 2011 and 2016 when Labour were in government. There was they made uh, they made four or five people chief of staff, and they gave them a fifty thousand euros a rise. Fifty thousand. Uh, how Eamon how Ryan could, could need two joint chief of staffs? <laughs> Don't you know what? Don't you know what? Listen, Mike, the all thing, the all thing is over in, in the White House in America there. Oh, yeah, yeah, they, they, they all think they're POTUS. President of the United States has one chief of staff. Well, like Barack That's Obama right. had Rahm Emanuel. He became the mayor yeah. of Chicago. Uh, Eamon Ryan needs two chiefs of staff. Uh, how, how, right. how these advisors allow this crap to come into the media and, and allow, their, uh, allow their political masters to be hammered with it is beyond me. And I just hope, I just hope that those people do not forget to carry on in the next couple of years that they do not forget to carry on. And it has been going on for years and years and years, and it has never came out. All right. Thanks a million for the comment, Dan. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks. We need to get to a couple bye-bye. of texts. There are hundreds and hundreds of texts. Uh, the COVID payment and holiday goers. The thing that really annoys me about stopping the COVID payment for holiday goers is imagining that they have worked for years, then they paid for a holiday, and unfortunately lost their jobs due to a pandemic. Uh, when or if they go on their holidays, they will lose the payment. This seems unfair. Uh, one by email. Morning, Mick. This morning I should be flying off on my summer holidays, but due to the government advising us not to travel abroad and the Canaries not being on the green list, I decided not to go. I had to fork out another €420 to change the flights to next year uh, with Ryanair, which I'm disgusted with. I've had no satisfaction from Ryanair. What really makes my blood boil is tourists from around the world can come in here to Ireland freely and with no checkups being done either. I also feel sorry for people whose COVID payment is not being paid if they leave the country. 
families have holidays booked from a year in advance. And the government are now penalising and taking advantage of people that lost their jobs and kicking them when they are down at their lowest and taking away this payment. Does Micheál Martin realise the amount of money families are losing because of not travelling due to the government advising us not to travel? The normal Joe Soap is losing money in this pandemic, but the ministers are getting pay rises. It sums up the gangsters in this government. People ask for change, and yet there is still mullets messing up this country. Bring in Sinn Féin. The last four words there in capital letters. On the government subject, isn't it amazing when all these pressures are facing various groups, institutions and cohorts of people throughout the country? The government can ensure that they pass vital legislation to guarantee 16,000 top-ups to their already existing 124,000 per annum for their junior ministers. Super juniors, uh, minister is made up as, is a made-up term, uh, since O'Callaghan refused his junior ministerial role offered by Micheál Martin. Uh, it's amazing what our leaders can do when they put their minds to it, which is inspirational. In fact, Fianna Fall went against the, uh, pay rise for, uh, was it Mary Mitchell? Mary Mitchell O'Connor, I think was her name, I stand to be corrected, um, but went against it in 2017. I should have asked Michael McGrath that, uh, because he said on uh, another local radio station that he had no recollection of it, um, yet it was uh, blazoned on the front page of the Fianna Fáil website. So there you go. Now, on schools reopening, let's go to Aaron Wolf. Good morning, Aaron. Hi, Nick, how are you? Good. Now, we spoke before on a different topic, of course, but you're the principal of Kolochta Eamon Rich. That's correct, yeah. Okay. So, w- schools reopening is a volume of work for principals to get through in four weeks now. When would you normally be re- re-engaging with uh, opening the doors and shaking out cobwebs and freshening up the rooms? June, the minute we close, we start the work on. We have our timetable in place. We have plans for the summer to get the place up and running again. So, four weeks has left us with very, very little time. And I'm glad you've acknowledged that it's not schools that have to get schools open, but it's the principals. Okay. And it's a huge body of work for principals. And and what have you done so far? Are, are you working in anticipation of yesterday's or were you working in anticipation of yesterday's we were, announcement? Well, I suppose I'm in a, uh, a, a different position where I, I, I didn't touch my timetable. A lot of principals, I suppose, across the country have maybe have done their timetable already. I said I wouldn't touch it. I'd leave it till August to see where things are. So I have to get the timetable done. Um, but we had other work carried out then, structural work for the schools in painting. We had the whole place painted. Um, we have a new locker bought for the school. There's new furniture. All this had already been planned for um, throughout the closure, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. the school will look fantastic <laughs> when it reopens. Um, uh, we just hope that everyone will be allowed to be kept safe. When how how, how can... Uh, Eamon, oh, sorry, Aaron. Uh, how can can we have an empty Doyle in full schools? How can we have empty bars and full planes? Well, I know. I suppose, look, everyone, every teacher bashing is a, the massive thing. And I want everyone to know, everyone has to know, teachers want to get back to work. This is the thing. We all want our children to get back into schools. Um, and it is important that we do it in a very safe way. So um, there's no one advocating that schools stay closed. Um, how they will open, we have our, our, our roadmap now, which is, it's not as clear as I would have liked. Um, but, you know, we, we'll, we'll get there. But it's going to be a mountain of work over four weeks. Um, social distancing, is it possible? I don't think it is in my building. And I don't think it is impossible in a lot of school buildings that are of the same age. Because schools weren't built to allow one metre distancing between students, let alone two. How, how can Norma Foley decide it's, it's one metre when the, the overriding principle is two metre separation? Well, I know, I know it's four weeks in advance, but Foley, it's... You know? <laughs> Sorry? But that's a question you have to ask Norma Foley, you know. I, I, we, we can't, uh, I can't second guess how they've come up with these figures. Um, looking at their guide of, they're saying, a classroom of 40-odd square metres can fit 24 students. 49 at, square metres, is it? 
49 square metres, that's right. And I think that it works out as roughly two square metres per student is what you're allowed. Now, my classrooms are about 46 square metres, all of them. So that means I can fit 21 students in a class. And the Irish education system does not allow for a pupil-teacher ratio of 21 to 1. Um, what does it allow for? What does it allow for? All my secondary school classes are 30 inside. Yeah, 30 or 31. Well, the, the unions, and again, the unions uh, get a lot of bashing, but the ASGI are there to protect um, teacher rights and teacher, and the ASGI have policies in place to say class sizes should be kept small. Now, a lot of people bash the ASGI and they stop that, but that's a good thing, that the ASGI are saying class size in this country should be kept small. So there's a directive in place that no ASGI member should teach a class bigger than 30, and if it's a practical subject, it shouldn't be over 20 or 24. Um, but the Department of Education uh, don't acknowledge that that's directive in place if you get what I mean. Yeah. But um, we, we had yeah. we had Aaron the you know we had the images of young uh, doctors uh, Irish born doctors coming home from abroad to help their country in its time of pandemic need. And I'm not being sarcastic but I I can't see the same eagerness among retired teachers to queue up to go back into what's possibly a covid hotspot in a school. Can you? Exactly. I mean, if you've retired, you're you're got, you're over sixty five. Why would you put your your yourself at risk? And the level of change in the Irish education system over the last couple of years with junior cycle reform, uh, a teacher, a retired teacher, w- wouldn't know the curriculum anymore. I mean, the change has been huge. Um, so, a retired teacher is not practical. They'd only be coming in to supervise rather than teach because they just wouldn't know the content anymore. Um, there's a she- teacher shortage in this country anyway. Uh, people don't want to become teachers. Do you know that the the PME or as it was called the HDIP, the trainee course for teachers, when they made that two years, that put a lot of people off, and people didn't go into the teaching profession. Um, back, so back to your classroom, Lauren. You've you've got 21 students now in a class with a teacher. You've got another nine or ten now that need to be in a different room, supervised by another teacher, I imagine. And also, you need to live stream the class into them. Yeah, but I don't have a teacher to supervise them like that, and that—that that is a mad part of the guideline saying live stream it. But where did that extra teacher come from? Because I don't have that teacher on my staff. If that makes sense, you know, I have a set pot of teachers and hours that I can use, and I can't go over that. So if I can get these seven students, well, you can't go in. I have no one to supervise them. Okay. So for me, I'm thinking I have to bring advisors. Now, what I was hoping yesterday was the department would have uh, carried out a procurement and they would have told me where I could buy visors or face masks and that, but they haven't done that. So that's they're, they're just going to give you a budget, is it? And off you go. Yeah, that seems to be it. Um, so already this morning I'm trying to fi- ring people that we know uh, that have bought visors and say, you know, how can we get visors? And, you know, are we going to put students in visors? Are we going to have all the teachers, all the SNAs? And because, like even an SNA, an SNA can't social distance between a student because they deliver care needs. Of course. So the role of an SNA is huge, but they have to actually sit next to a child. No good an SNA sat a metre away. So is there guidance on SNAs? Do, do they have to wear a mask and a visor? It, that's mentioned in the guidelines, but the guidelines are so long and they're, they're arduous. There's so much was published yesterday. I mean, maps of classrooms with desks. There was one map published yesterday that showed the pee hall and they said you could put three classes of 30 in the pee hall. But so does that mean pee is not going to be offered next year then? You know, there are things like this. Okay, so no clarity there either. No, there's very little clarity. It was not as clear as... No, we understand that the, the government, the Department of Education is in a very, very difficult position. Um, all I'd be hoping is that they just now give the schools the autonomy. Let me, let me put the head down and plan to reopen my school and don't let the department come back to me saying, you know, oh, no, what you did now wasn't right. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
But how will you know without clear guidelines? I mean, if 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 the WHO said it's, it's it, you know, if their if their rules said twenty one children in a twenty nine square meter space, and you've got thirty kids, you've got a problem straight away. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that um, the use of face uh, visors, face shields, um, will allow for us to to carry on at that because I can't see a, a way around it really. Mm-hmm. Uh, some critical text, of course, every time a teacher comes on. Here's one. I sent a message yesterday regarding principals moaning about the work they all do. Uh, but all they do is rosters. And the only thing the principal on air has mentioned is timetables. He said it four times. <laughs> and then he went on about painting the school. I doubt that he's actually doing the painting. They're dossers. And I can't come on air, says the texter. Well, you tell that texter that they should go off and train up to become a teacher. And even better than that, train up to become a principal. These um, principals are very, very hands-on. Uh, there's far more than just tight heavily. You're running a massive organisation. You know, we have a staff of 70, we have 400 students in my school. Um, you're dealing with students, you're dealing with parents, and the book stops with the principal. And regarding, are you not painting? Geez, you come in and you see us every day, and we're, we're painting, we're power washing. We're, I'm certainly a principal in who gets my hands dirty and does the hard work, you know? So what about having uh, 15 people in a class of 30 attending on let's say, a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday and then a Tuesday and a Thursday the following week while the other 15 came in the alternate days. Yeah, we, do, we don't want to be in that situation of where not everyone is back together, you know, because what we'd be very conscious as a parent myself, how can I go to work if my children can't go to school? Um, now, it's not, not, that's not so bad at secondary school level, but a primary school, if you were trying to stagger uh, children in, it's not doable. You know, I can't go to work. My children needed to be minded. Uh, I'd have to stay at home with them. Uh, so we want to see every, we do want to see everyone back. Um, for me, in my mind, it's the visors as the solution, you know, that... Um, the visors without a mask are, are pretty ineffective, apparently, according to yesterday's statements anyway. Yeah, well, that match with good hand hygiene, you know... Um, I think, you know... I suppose if the visor was deep enough, but then it's going to be uncomfortable, isn't it? Well, it is. It is going to be uncomfortable. But um, I think everyone in the country, well, we want our schools open. Um, but we're not all going to get extensions. I mean, it's impossible. If we've got four weeks to go, even prefabs, I mean, it's, it's not possible. Um, the maths don't add up. The size of schools, we're not built for distancing in that way. Prefab orders have taken a massive spike, but I'm still unclear as to whether they can be positioned without planning. You know, for school use. Well, I under health like and safety grounds and, and planning grounds. But taking a spike, I'd love to know where, uh, where the schools have got the money to put prefabs. Prefabs cost huge money. In fact, they, their prefabs are so expensive. The Department of Education are moving away from prefabs, and they they think it's cheaper to build extensions now. So, um, I'm not sure how schools are managing to afford to land in prefabs and then to plumb the prefab to supply electricity. And at the moment, it's nearly impossible to get anyone to work in schools anyway. You know, we're trying to get plumbers or electricians to do work. Everyone is people busy and trying to get builders is next to impossible. So how, how do you see it panning out finally, Aaron? Um, fine. Well, look, school, we, we, we will. We will be open in, in four weeks. It'll be a lot of hard work. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of teacher bashing as we go, but um, we try and stay positive. We get the schools open. We get back to teaching and learning and in a safe way for our students and staff members. Well, you're very upbeat, upbeat about it anyway. Here's one more uh, teacher bashing one. I'm friends with a secondary school principal, and I've seen firsthand how little work they do. I'm sorry, but they're lazy and they get stressed out even if they have to do a roster. Oh, there's no let up on it, Aaron. Oh, but there's not. But when you go into teaching, the uh, teacher bashing is a national pastime. And I suppose, look, what the, the advice would be: go off and become a teacher. If you want to, three people say you've got great holidays. Well, go off and become a teacher. There's a shortage in the country. Go off, study for four years to get your degree. Do two more years of teacher training, and then go in as a lesser-paid teacher with a poor contract of ten hours, and see if you can raise your family that way.
but I look okay. forward to seeing the uptake. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Mick. Go on, bye-bye. Aaron Wolf, Principal of Kolosh Eamon Rish. Uh, hi, Mick. Uh, I'm glad you were so level-headed. What's your opinion on people in the Doyle deciding their own or friends' wages? Well, I asked Michael McGrath that. I don't think it's right. Uh, we, the people, should decide what they are paid. If it wasn't for us, they would not be in their jobs, says Bob. I'm not a great fan of Fianna Fáil, but I'm so glad Micheál Martin is at the helm, rather than the that narcissistic, publicity-loving Leo. At least Micheál has decorum and is more statement-like, says another texture. And one more. Our democracy is, is a disgrace. Micheál Martin should be so embarrassed. It took six counts for him even to be voted into his own constituency. He wasn't wanted, and now he's Taoiseach. Irish people have lost all faith in their government and political system, and ordinary, hard-working people are overlooked, as well as the frontline staff, that no one will ever understand how hard they've worked over the past four months. They got nothing but a clap. They will be expected to do the same if there's a second wave. Yet it's the junior ministers that got a pay rise. It's disgraceful. 26 after 10. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show and good morning to Catherine. Hi, Mick. How are you? Hi, Catherine. How are you? Now, you haven't seen your 85-year-old mother in months since COVID-19 restrictions yeah. were put in place at her care home. Can you tell us all about that? Um, well... The 7th of March was the last time I went up to see her. And then the lockdown began and, you know, nobody could go anywhere or visit anybody. So then they lifted the... Oh, we could get um, FaceTime. But my mother is coming to the end of her life. And, you know, FaceTime was pretty hard because you're looking at my mother who's basically asleep. Um, So... That's where I was, that upset me then as well, because you could see her deterioration as well. But then the lockdown was lifted, and, and then the first month, um, I was sick myself, and I couldn't go. But they, the lockdown, the guidance was only two people could go. And now they haven't shifted from that still, and this is coming to the end of July, which I find it very unfair, but... Uh, well, you know, my brother and my sister had gone up for the first month. Okay, so but this is the government care home visitation policy, yes. which, which you're saying possibly needs to be reviewed. Is it the same oh, two people all the time nominated, or can you rotate? No, you, can't, you can't. Um, you can't. Um, what I did was basically, there's a person who organizes the visits, and when I was well enough, I, I rang her and I said, you know, I need to see my mother. So I kept ringing her. She said I couldn't come to see her. Only two designated people could come. This is kind of unfair for large families, isn't it? Yeah, she said it's the same for anybody with nine children, with seven children. So basically, I kept ringing her. I kept ringing her. I practically annoyed her because I needed to see my mother. And then finally, she relented and she said, OK, you can come up. And that that was last, uh, I think it was last Tuesday week, gone. And I finally got up to see my mother. Okay, and I have to ask, what sort of level of health, in, uh, improvement in health, or dare I say, what level of decline in health did shocking. you notice in your mother? It was shocking. Absolutely horrendous what I saw. Okay. And the thing is, every time I rang, when I couldn't get up to see her, I was told my mother was good. She's very good. She's smiling. She's sitting up. She's this. She's that. But when I saw my mother, she was basically lying on the bed, uh, asleep, yellow face, 
it was horrendous. It just was horrendous. So as impersonal the as the FaceTime might be, and as difficult as it must be if your mother's asleep and mm -hmm. not even interacting with you. Yes. To go in and then to have all of these past platitudes, if you like, in your head. Yes. Oh, she's fine. Oh, she's sitting up. Yes. Oh, she's talking. And, and to see her in the state you did, which is kind yes. of a catatonic state of sleep. And as you said yourself, yellow. You must have got a shock. I did. And um, what happened was, uh, when I arrived for my visit, the girl who was taken down, you know, you go through, you're getting the gloves, getting sanitation, all that. She said, you're late. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought my appointment was quarter past twelve. She said, no, you have only 15 minutes with your mother. Um, no, there wasn't a queue of people waiting to see my mother. So I, I don't understand why, you know, there was such an urgency of getting me out, you know. Well, I um, imagine, quite rightly, the nursing homes have become the focus of attention because to a certain extent, I believe the ball was dropped there by the authorities oh and God, it yeah. became yeah. an unnecessary focus of, of COVID yeah. infection when if it had been sealed first day, which is probably the intention of the government, seal nursing homes and protect those within the nursing homes. Exactly. Um, so you can understand why the government regulations kept it to two people, as difficult as that must be for a large family and as difficult as it must have been for you. Yes. Um, the thing is, when I did go up to see her, and it, it was one thing I asked for before I left because they told me she was dying. They asked me what I wanted in her room when I said I wanted music played all the time. And I bought her a CD for her, CD player and CDs. And of course, every time I had gone up before the lockdown, the, the music was never on. And again, when I walked in after the lockdown, music not on again. My mother, my mother was sliding over to the side. You know, her head near this, the bar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just so distressing. And then uh, one of the staff came in and she said, your time is up. And just walked away, didn't even look at my mother. Or, um, you feel like out. you were visiting a prison inmate, would you? Yes, your time is up. In other words, get out, you know. Um, so I left, very distressed. I spoke to my sister and we got on to her doctor that we needed our mother to be assessed by palliative care because we felt she was dying and the doctor got quite defensive with us and um, then I rang the manager I asked to speak to the manager I wanted a meeting about her care and what was happening and we did go to the meeting she explained that while my mother wasn't eating she was eating soft food you know, not a lot uh, she apologised for the way that I did find my mother. Uh, you know, this day she was in, in that she, her head was over to the side because I'd seen that witness that many times. And there was a whole host of, you know, complaints I had. The music wasn't on. Things were wrong in the room. You know, I, I can't explain. Like, but I had a list of things that were I wasn't happy about. Yes. Have you and yet seen your mother, Catherine, while she was awake? Oh, I did. You Yesterday, did. we went for when? Sorry, we went for our meeting, and they the meeting went fine. And then they said, "Did we want to go up to see our mother?" And we did. And when I moved up, my mother was awake, which is the first time in a long time, and I don't understand that. So, from more or less but, get out, you've you've moved to oh, do you want to go up and visit? Yes, exactly. Um, maybe they knew she was awake. No, I'm not trying to cast any aspersions on, on the care she's getting. Uh, it's not my place to no, do that. And no, please don't no, mention the name of the, that, the, of, of the is, nursing home. She was awake at half past twelve. 
they were the two visiting times I went up half twelve and she wasn't awake. Now, I'm not saying they woke her up, but it was a bit of a coincidence. Mm. She was diagnosed um, with breast cancer at 81. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then dementia progressed. She was put in a care home at that stage. Yeah. Now, of course, and the cancer has caught up with the dementia. That's progressed. Exactly. In December, um, you told us she was taken off all medication. She, so, I was told in January she was taken off all medication. They weren't doing any more blood tests because she's dying. But she's dying right. now since December. That's seven months, and she must be in a lot of pain if she's off all medication. But that's the, that was my complaint because I went in on the week of the before the lockdown and somebody, one of the staff members had spilt a cup of water in the room on her bed and left it there. And when I walked in and I saw it, I went looking for the staff and I found the manager and I said, my mum's bed is all wet, her floor is all wet, can somebody uh, sort it out? And she said, she's just been changed. I said, well, somebody spilled water on her. And then uh, they'd got the staff in to dress her and that's how I knew she was in pain. Because when they started taking her clothes off, she was crying out in pain. Mm-hmm. And I said that to the manager on Wednesday, and they said, that, we said it to the doctor, and the doctor said, that was normal. Normal. That is not normal. It's not normal to see your mother screaming in pain. What palliative care is available to her? So, we're after guessing Marymount, who are coming to, they are coming to assess her um, in two weeks' time. Okay. But the thing is, I had to get on to Hicta, I had to get on to uh, Padraig O'Sullivan, the gunkler, I had to get on to other people to, to help me with all this, to finally get palliative care over to my mother, to assess her, to see if she is, you know, near death, which I have been told. She's gone if from she's near my death, how come there's no pain medication, Catherine? Hmm? If she's near, near death, how come there's no pain medication? I don't understand. I don't... They told me... I told you the doctor said that was normal. By the way, the doctor was just absolutely so rude. When we rang him to know, you know, what are you going to do about our mother? We need her... We need her to be assessed or moved to Marymount. And he said, no, your mother's very comfortable where she is. Crying in pain. Yes. And when we said about the pain, he said that was, that was normal. Did you no, put this down, normal. Catherine, to to the actual care home that she's in? I Did hope I? it's not indicative of of the greater society and what older people are suffering at end of life. Mm-hmm. I hope this is an isolated incident, and I hope you can get her into palliative care quite quickly. Um, are you sorry? Do you regret the decision to choose that particular care provider, or was that um, out of your hands as well? You know, there was a different manager there, and... I never had a problem with my mom in the care home. Mm-hmm. But the manager left. A lot of staff left. And now there's a, a, a turnaround of staff. Yeah, it's going to happen in, in these unusual yes. circumstances we find ourselves in now. And C- Catherine, can I ask you to keep us up to date with, with what happens? I will, of course. Um, you know, this is where we're at now at the moment, waiting for the palliative care to come from. My and that I, assessment I will take two I weeks, will get, it? Hmm? It'll take two weeks to get the assessment done? Yes, there's a waiting list now for that. Okay. So that's where we're at. So in the meantime, can any other medical intervention 
prevail to give your mother some pain relief oh, at least? She, this, at the meeting, uh, the manager said that we're, we're going to give her morphine now. Uh, we can't give her too much and we can't give her too little. But like she said, what they were giving her was paracetamol. Okay. Now, that is just paracetamol for a person who is dying of cancer. That's there's something wrong there. What What do you wish for your mother at this stage? A, I want a, a my peaceful mother to and, have and dignified a passing. Dignifi- exactly, a dignified passing, a dignified, uh, looked after properly. You know, proper care, proper pain relief. Not the what not what she was getting up to the lockdown, which I saw with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not happy about it. And I'm now. At the moment, my my granddaughter, my daughter wants to go up and see her. Her sisters want to go up and see her. You know, there's other members of the family that can't get up to see her. Okay. That, and this is the government. This is the government now who will allow people to go to bars for something to eat, but won't allow people to go into care homes to visit there. I know there's, there's a concern about the COVID spreading in there, but we're well covered going in there. Or you could be well covered. You could be sanitised, yes. you could wear PPE, you could wear visor, mask, the whole yes, thing. exactly. At well, least to be with the person you love. We'll go through a whole stage before we get in there. All right, Catherine. Will you keep us in touch as to what happens over the next couple of weeks? I will, of course. Thank I you will, very course. much. Thank you for calling. Thanks. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. And you can text 0868104106 as uh, these listeners did. Uh, I have zero sympathy for, for the teachers. I've had to go into work every day and they're complaining about going back to work. The only pay rise we will ever get is a clap. Uh, we will never ever see a pay rise because of the cost of PPE. Those teachers boil my blood from a hard working HSE staff member. Hi Mick, I was just listening to the holidays topic. Are these people serious that they think it's okay for people on COVID-19 payments to go off abroad on holidays? I know they've lost their jobs, but they're no different from the essential workers that are working throughout the pandemic. If they took holidays, they would not be paid either. And as for the job seekers, I'd love to know how long the majority of these people are on this payment. I bet they were on it for a long time before COVID-19. It's the likes of them that should have their payments reduced. The government need to get on, to get those on social welfare up off their butts and out to work. Stop letting the taxpayers pay for them. Uh, also, just on the Christmas bonus, the working class don't get a bonus. So why do the social welfare job seekers get it? Uh, they contribute nothing. Well, I suppose it's an assistance allowance uh, given at Christmas time to help those uh, at the bottom end of the financial scale to get themselves and their families through Christmas. But uh, point taken. Uh, on the schools, how can anyone that get months off every year with pay say that they work very hard? A lot of teachers that taught members of our family, be it our own kids or nephews, uh, those teachers were nothing short of lazy. Uh, they were starting Zoom calls late and not taking calls during lockdown. Mick, did you know that we already pay Space Cab 36 million euro a year in renting porta cabins for schools? I can't believe what I'm listening to regarding the controls for children going back to school. Have social distancing on the school bus. Have prefabs, perspex screens, and sectioned off playgrounds. Will someone please stop this madness? 99% of the children you were talking about are currently in seaside towns, caravan parks, estate green areas, or beaches, and they are far from social distancing. If we don't get a grip on the education, uh, on this, the educational system will collapse. Somebody needs to stay, uh, say stop 
says John. Hi, Makeup is just listening to the show and you talking about the people who are on about those that are afraid to let the children back to school. This was yesterday's program. I was on a passenger ferry last Friday and I want to say that even though everyone wore a mask, there was no social distancing whatsoever. I had to stand out on the front of the boat in the rain holding my toddler in my arms. The boat was definitely overloaded. The lads on the boat were so nice uh, and they can't be blamed. The boat should not be oversold. Though. Now, this sounds like a ferry going to an island somewhere. I'd love to find out what ferry that was and find out if it was actually overloaded. Now, it's the Neil Prendival Show on this Tuesday morning, the 28th of July, just turned a quarter to 11. And Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central, Thomas Gould, joins us on line six. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning. Now, you've criticised the policy of performing airport checks to stop pandemic unemployment payments to people travelling abroad. Yes, well, I tell you, you know what happened, Mick. There was a man contacted me, actually, to say that his wife had gone on holidays and she'd never known about this and that she had been in full-time employment. Um, her company was closed at the moment because of the pandemic. They haven't reopened. Uh, they had holidays that they had booked last year. Uh, they had paid for last year. They went away on holidays and well, she's worried that uh, she's going to stop that she's going to lose her payment. Like, this is a person who's in full-time employment. Um, you know, this person wants to go back to work, but unfortunately the company she works for. And I was actually contacted by another person who went to Scotland to visit a family member who's terminally ill with cancer. And now they're worried that they're going to lose their, their payment. Uh, and they're in the exact same boat. She was working uh, because of the pandemic. The company hasn't uh, reopened yet. And she never knew about these new rules that came into place. They were never advertised. They were never, um, t- people were never told. They just came in through a back door, uh, in by the government. I think the minister signed, you know, signed something on Sunday. I'm going to be talking to um, uh, somebody on that in, in, in more detail tomorrow, Thomas. But I think the government signed something to cover their tracks as it were, on uh, on Sunday. So so that now, not only those on the pandemic payment, but those on job seekers' allowance are to be sequestered in their own country and can't take their holidays. Uh, now, look, I, 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 take, I take the point that the public, uh, you know, there couldn't be some anger to say that these guys are on job seekers' allowance, they're meant to be available for work, etc. What are they doing uh, getting off to sunny Spain or whatever? But these people have had difficult times making ends meet, may have saved for a year, maybe two years, to take a holiday in the sun with their family uh, and now they're risking the only means of income support they have uh, if they hand over their PPS at an airport. And Mick, I spoke to one man who'd booked a holiday for himself, his wife and his two children and he couldn't get the government, he was waiting on the decision from the government because they spent almost 4,000 euros and if they didn't take the holiday they weren't going to get a uh, refund and he was in the catch-22 situation that because of the government's uh, mixed messages and confusion about taking holidays, he didn't know, he he wanted to follow the medical advice and not go on holidays, but because the government hadn't made it clear enough, he was afraid that he wouldn't get his money back. Mm-hmm. Like the government's position in relation to travel has just been a complete disaster. No one, like, People want to follow the medical advice, but they need to get support and clarity from the government. So just in relation to travel, the minister and just the whole government's performance has been very disappointing. 
Now, I'm not sure is it indicative of any internal rancor within Fianna Fáil. I heard reports that Michal was actually shouted at at a, at a cabinet meeting, or at, sorry, at a parliamentary party meeting. That's to be confirmed or denied, of course. But apparently Fianna Fáil Limerick TD, Willie O'Dea, is accusing his own government of singling out a cohort of people by stopping the PUP as a result of checks carried out at airports. And there's also questions around the validity of the gathering of this evidence under GDPR. Uh, now, I know it was given voluntarily, but people probably didn't realise they had a choice not to give it at all. Um, and who's sharing the information? Is it guardies, social welfare officers in airports, or is it the airlines? Well, there's, there's some real serious questions here, because... People are giving disinformation in good faith. Like, a lot of people know because of the pandemic are being very cooperative with everyone. Like, everyone is trying to pull together now because of the pandemic. And then for the government to go away and to use this information that was never supposed to be for this against genuine people. Like, make, you know yourself, most people book their holidays 12 months, 9 months in advance ever before this pandemic came. And then, because of the pandemic, a lot of people are on this payment because they're waiting for the jobs to reopen. And like, what we're going to do now is we're going to stop people who are trying to be open and honest and try to do things right. People now will, will be suspicious of the government again, saying this is all about gathering information. And to be honest, I believe what the government done was illegal. I think it was wrong. Did, did Leo Varadkar say, or did he not say, on the week in politics, that the government used the COVID tracker app to find out who went abroad? Well, can I say this now? I'm a big supporter of the COVID tracker app because I think long term, or for the short term, while the pandemic is on, as much information as we can get to to ensure that we can track and trace people is important. Okay. But... What the, t- what the tallest is after saying no is really after upsetting a lot of people because people are, people are given their information in good faith and they expect it to be respected. And if the government now is going down these lines, what, we need more people to take this up. And I believe because of the government's now kind of a Machiavellian way which they're not handling people's data, that it'll be counterproductive. I think the Thomas made a big mistake, and I think he should come out and say, that's not what this is about. This is for the public health. Yeah, what they're saying is it's it's essentially people, most of the 120 or so who were stopped, were leaving the country for, for, for good. Uh, okay, uh, Thomas, you, you were coming on initially to speak about John Ahern. Now, John is 74, and he's prostate cancer and is susceptible to bronchitis. John wasn't answering when you, when you started the call, but he has answered now, and he joins us on line three. So, good morning to you, John. Hello, John. Hello. John Ahern, good morning. Good morning. Thank okay. you. Okay, it's Mick. How are you doing? Very good, Nick. Thanks. Okay. thanks. I'm, I'm conscious we may not have time before the news at 11 to cover this, but let's cover it in, in as best we can, okay? Uh, we can come back to you after 11 uh, news if, if we don't have enough time. But I want you to be relaxed, John, okay? Now, you had an operation for prostate cancer in the U.S. in 2010. Yes. But four months later, yes. the cancer returned. Yes. Okay, you had radiation treatment in the States, but this has caused some damage. It has severely damaged your kidneys. That's right. What does this result in, in you having to do? Is, is is it that you have to wear incontinence pads? I wear um, pull-ups, which are like diapers. Mm. Okay. 24-7. So you're living in a two-bedroom bungalow with an open-plan kitchen, kitchen and living area? Yes. This is a council-owned property? Yes. Okay. 
So within six months of you moving in, take the story from there, would you? Yes, when when I moved in, everything was perfect. And then spots appeared on the wall. And I contacted the council and they didn't do anything. But then my health nurse, she contacted them and they came down and said, oh, that was done wrongly by the um, people who installed the the wall, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was that. And then I tried to get through again and I couldn't because they didn't do anything. And then the ceiling seems to be either um, it's black. Okay, right? so this is this is obviously mold, is it? I don't know. Now I um, it's either mold or damp. Okay. But, um, has there been any has there been any official examination or any official declaration as to what what that is? No, until yesterday. You know, I called Red FM yesterday. Mm-hmm. And within three hours, they were down here. Wow. Okay, but you had already called the council at least five times. Your nurse had emailed them three times. And, and Thomas, you might take the story up here. You wrote, you wrote in twice as well. Yes, you see, John is an example of what's happening with housing maintenance and the shortage of funding. Like, where John lives, that, those buildings were built 135 years ago. And around Coxie, um, there are a lot of buildings that are 80, 100, over 100 years old. And they require full retrofittings and uh, to bring them up to standard. Like, how can we expect buildings that were built 135 years ago to be insulated, to be damp-proof? So what we have is a lot of, a lot of properties like John's that are damp, there's mould in them, they, they require uh, a complete retrofit, and the problem for Cox City Council is, like, the maintenance are working with a very limited budget, and what we've been looking for is for central government to give Cox City Council enough funding to go into these places and retrofit them. Like, at the moment, there's work going on in Allen Square, I don't know if you remember, Mick, we had a big campaign a couple of years ago, places like Wolf Tone Street and others were done, um, they were completely retrofitted. There was a very good job. They were insulated. They were uh, damp-proofed. So that's what we need done. But the problem for someone like John and hundreds of other people out there living in council properties across the city is the council doesn't have the funding to do them. And as a result, they're doing temporary jobs, which in the long run is, is a waste of money because the same problem, like what happened to John, they're coming out, they're doing a short-term job, and within six months, the same problem is back again. Whereas they, whereas they had the funding to do the job properly, someone like John, and like someone like John who have serious medical condition, you know, like he can't be living somewhere that's damp and got mould, especially for older people, anyone with chest problems, anyone with uh, serious medical issues, they can't be living in houses like this. So that's why we need Cox City Council to get the funding they need to make sure people like John have, have decent quality of life. Okay, and we, we, you know, it's not just John on an individual basis, though we're happy to help. And if we can highlight something that will help for John, 
Uh, that's much, much better, of course. But it's a general problem. You're looking at many homes here with single glazing. You're looking at many small homes. The single glazing will make any home an icebox in the winter. Um, so, guys, uh, I'm going to have to ask you to hold until after news at 11. And uh, can you both come back with me then? No problem. No problem. Uh, you okay to come back, yeah. John? Okay. Yes. Fantastic. Because I, I want to do the interview justice and make sure that uh, you get what's needed, if that's at all possible, if we can help, John, all right? Thank you. Okay, talk to you after news at 11. And, uh, of course, you can contact the program on 1850 or text us on 0868 But news at 11 is next. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And I want to welcome back on air John Ahern and Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central, Thomas Gould, who's been trying to assist him. John, 74, with prostate cancer, susceptible to bronchitis, and living, it would appear, in a house that's afflicted with mould. Uh, so what happened yesterday? Did you get a call or an inspection, John? I got um, a call from Tom O'Connor, who is the foreman for this area. Okay. Now, I again, about going back about a year, um, my home health nurse called him, and he came down and he said that it was when they were putting in the sheetrock or whatever it's called, they didn't do it properly. They never painted over the... Um, the pins, right? Okay, that's what I'm, I was about to ask. Is it possible that these, because they're circular, and it would seem that mould wouldn't be exactly circular, so they're coin-like no. marks, would they be related to steel metal slab fixers, maybe? That's right, that's right. Okay. So that they could true. be. They could be. Yeah, well, he says it is. And then when I showed him the ceiling, where I can see that um, I thought it was mould or dampness, he he didn't pass comment on that in a sense, but um, he said, you know, that I could get it painted, but I already had it painted, and then and the mold is coming through. It came all right back again. Okay. So then uh, he said, "We told me what needs to be done." So I said, "I'm not able to do it early. I don't want to pay someone to do it, but I want him to fix it." So he said that um, he would have to think about it because they would have to um, sublet it to a painter, you know? So you got to get a painting subcontractor. Yeah. Not much point painting over it if it didn't work for you. No, but what they're doing is they're going to... Those holes, those marks, you, you must paint them with something first. I don't know what it is, but you must paint them with something... Um, well, the root, the root cause of the mould will have to be addressed first and before any painting can be successful. I have a statement here from Cork City Council, uh, John and Thomas. Cork City Council is not in a position to comment on individual cases. However, the council is satisfied that it seeks to maintain and improve the housing stock in accordance with statutory and best practice requirements, providing a reasonable standard of accommodation for its tenants. Do you think that's honest, Thomas? A reasonable standard of accommodation is good enough, is it? No, it's not good enough, you see, Mick. Because when I started in Cox City Council first, there's a thing called preventive maintenance. And what that is, is if you're a landlord, you see, Cox City Council is a landlord and it owns 11,000 houses in Cox City, in the new uh, expanded uh, Cox City Council. 
Now, what should be happening is there should be a role in maintenance program every five years that would actually be running constantly to maintain, like as a landlord, you have a duty of care to your tenant to make sure that the, the, the property, like John is paying rent, these people are paying rent. Like I, I was talking to a lady yesterday and herself and her husband's uh, rent would be more than what it would be to get a mortgage. Yeah, like so some people think council tenants no, don't get me wrong, some council tenants you pay fifteen percent of your net income as your uh, your rent. Okay, and that, that, that could be twenty six euros a week, it could be thirty six euros a week, it could be fifty six euros. It could, a be week. A, it could be a lot more depending so on not a lot more you yeah. have but so like as a as a landlord, Cox City Council have a responsibility to ensure that the house is up to standard. And what I'm saying at the moment, that's not happening. Like I know a lady who have uh, who had unfortunately she passed away during the pandemic, who had aluminium windows in her house, single glazed. It was like a nice box every this woman was in her seventies. No the government, you see, the government bring out some crazy initiatives. The, the government allowed Cork City Council to put in new windows and doors and insulate houses when they're empty. But for people who live in them, they have to wait. So, like, there are people, unfortunately, passing away, and then before the houses are given back out again, the whole house is renovated. So, in actual fact, when the people lived there, they lived in cold, damp houses, and then when the new people move in, you're getting, getting a lovely warm BER certified house. And that's a crazy situation, Rick, because what I'm saying now is, like the Green Party now are in government, they're in the council with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and they're in government in the toilet with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And they heralded a huge retrofit um, programme of capital expenditure for these houses. We're at least looking at seven years. If you're living in the city council, uh, you'll at least, like... That won't be done for at least seven years, and I personally don't even believe that it will be done within the seven years. Because, like, what we need now is we need we need continuous maintenance started properly. People are paying rents; their houses should be looked after in a proper way, and specifically for people like John and the hundreds of other people out there who are people with. Serious medical industries, uh, illnesses, people who have uh, lung problems or bronchial problems, they can't be living in homes that are damp or that have mould. These are urgent issues that need to be tackled now, and they can't be waiting five, six, and seven years for it. They need it done now. Many of these I houses, think, Thomas, uh, like Ryan's buildings and Barrett's buildings, they're generally small units, so they don't really suit young, growing families. So then they're given to the elderly, and and then there's there's good parts of this as well because it allows them to maybe feel a sense of community and be together. Uh, you know, a section of buildings all occupied by by let's say elderly couples or single single elderly people. Uh, unfortunately, there are also the houses that are eighty to one hundred years old. And that's the thing, Mick. Like to be fair to Cox City Council, that whole concept is a very good idea. Like your know, man's buildings, Barrett's buildings, Ryan buildings, Roach's buildings, all these pe- places are specifically uh, all the people are put in there because of smaller houses. But the problem is then these houses need to be up to a standard because you're putting in all the people, a lot of them would have health issues. So you want them to have a good quality of life. You want them to be warm and safe and secure in their homes. So 
So Cox City Council's point of view, the idea is right, the thought behind it is right, but they need the money from central government. Like, I think it's over 20 million that's collected every year in Cork. Is it 24 or 25 million? I don't have the exact figure on me. From rents, just from rent alone in Cork City Council. Now, if you think of it, if we were investing a decent proportion of money into housing maintenance, the, the rent is coming in every year. That money should be ploughed back then into maintenance and into communities to make sure that these people... And it's it's good for everyone because what you're doing is you're creating better communities within the city. Mm-hmm. To me, uh, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, for, but, for, for, but for John, where do we go from here? We have to find out, is it mould? We have to find out why these two-euro coin size circles are appearing on the wall. Uh, even if that was the, you know, the, the staples that hold up the plaster or whatever... Uh, they couldn't be making those marks unless there was dampness anyway. Yes. Yeah. Well, yesterday, no, I've contacted the council yesterday in relation to John again. Uh, with, like, I've made reps already on his behalf. No, at least they came out yesterday, so that means they're going to be, at least they contacted the John yesterday, so hopefully now they're going to come out. But the problem is, like, what they said to John about painting the wall, like, I made a point to you earlier on, Mick, like, all we're doing is we're wasting good money. We need to fix the problem because all we're doing is painting it and after a couple of months, we'll be back in the same place again. So we need to fix the problem and not do a temporary job. Okay. Are you happy things are moving along, John? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, yesterday was the beginning of the, of the starting of it, you know? Yeah. I, I was very pleased to see Tom Cohn, Tom O'Connor here, but um, and and I, I hope to God you can do it. You see, besides the cancer, I have diabetes, and my mobility is very limited. So I'm only able to get out of the house once a week, and therefore I'm sitting here in this room, twenty, you know, all the time, mm-hmm. and it's quite depressing to you know see what's going on. Well, look, well, we've, we've set the train in motion, I hope, between the airwaves and the representations of Thomas Gould, and we hope you, you will get a resolution. Uh, I'm sure they'll be looking at it now to, to at least address your concerns. Yes, and I'd like to thank Tom on the radio. He was very good. Okay. Thanks a million, John. Good morning to you. Thomas, I've just got a, a couple of more questions right. for you. Um, you a couple of sons. Thanks a minute. Just a couple of uh, listener questions for you. Thanks, John. Um, ask Thomas about the Bollards and Kilmore Road. Oh, yes. That's, there's work's being done at the moment. Is that what they're relating to? Must be, or, yeah, or yeah. Talk? Bollards yeah, and Kilmore well, Road. Also about the hedges on Lower Kilmore Road. Uh, people have to walk onto the road. The footpath is, uh, is not walkable. Uh, that's been complained to City Hall twice, but to no avail. Well, first of all, in relation to the Bollards, Mick, um, to anyone who knows Kilmore Road, from Kilmore Road right up to Churchill Industrial Park, right up to Castleview and Temple United Soccer Pitch, you have these horrible concrete bollards that were put up there 20 years ago. They're absolutely a disgrace. I've raised the issue for years with the council. They're talking about hundreds of thousands of euros to take them away. Um, but the problem is children that are walking either on the right-hand side as you go up Kilmore or to Vincent's Field or going up to Castleview or Temple United have to walk on the road. This wouldn't be tolerated anywhere else. Like, th- th- one of the reasons these were put here was to stop people illegally parking on footpaths or for 
uh, caravans coming in because there was an issue there years ago with this. But if you go to down to Mahan or if you go to, I drove around the, uh, I actually went to Limerick with Kenneth Collins and we actually went to Ballymun in Dublin to look what they did to solve the problem. And what they did is they put a six inch curb on top of the footpath to stop anything from actually mounting the footpath. Okay. Now, that's what I'm looking for in Kilmore Road. But in, to, to be honest, people with buggies can't use them, people with wheelchairs, uh, anyone who has mobility problems can't use the footpaths because of these bollards. I know you believe that Cox City Council is actually in breach of the law by leaving them there, but they are saying that they don't have the money to take them away. And the Department of Environment in Dublin won't allow the regeneration team in Achnehini spend the money to remove them. And I believe that's wrong. And this goes back to the problem. Cox City Council, in all fairness, want to fix the problem, but the central government won't give them the funding or won't allow them to do it. And to me, that's the problem. Your people in the offices in Dublin who haven't a clue about Cox, Oh, well, the, the, the relevant minister here now folks on the programme, that's Michael McGrath. He's in charge of the CapEx, isn't he? The capital expenditure, public expenditure? Well, we, we're going to have to see now whether Michael delivers for Cork or not because there's big questions over are they going to deliver for Cork? OK, let's get back to the issue we started with. Uh, I know you're, uh, you want to reiterate people shouldn't be travelling abroad unless their journey is essential. Um, but also you were you were kind of worried that the, the, the PUP payment is being stopped, it would seem, for some holiday makers. Yeah, and I think, Mick, that's completely unfair. Like, that regulation was changed uh, without notification. Uh, it was done in a covert matter, manner, secretly. I think it's completely wrong. Like, most people book their holidays in advance, and for the government to be using people's honesty against them at this stage. Like, these are people who had jobs. These are people who want to go back to work, but their companies haven't reopened yet because of the pandemic. And I think it's a disgrace what the government... And the, the Tarnister made comments last Sunday on, uh, on RTE about using technology. Like, I think the English people... Like, That's I why I asked, is, are, are they using the COVID tracker app, Thomas? Well, we, we don't know that, and I hope they're not, because I'm encouraging people to take it up. I think it's a great thing to do, and I think for the for the to come out and suggest that, I think he should come out now and make a statement and confirm whether they are or not, because I don't believe legally, I think it's, it would be actually illegal to use that in any other way than a such t- tracking people in case they get infected, and that's all that it should be used it's, for. It seems to me that uh, Social Protection Minister Heather Humphreys, uh, very, I suppose, covertly would be the word, over the weekend, uh, temporarily, they're saying now, suspended the flexibility of receiving your usual payments while abroad, uh, because we're not in normal circumstances, was the, was the quotation there. But, but she is not the Minister for Health. I don't believe she is the authority to do that. Like the Minister for Health is the person. All these rules that have been brought in during the pandemic have all been brought in with consultation with the health officials by the Minister for Health, supported by the government. Like I don't know who Heather Humphreys thinks she is, but that's not her job. 
and I think she's after an overstep in the mark, and I believe she's Well, there, there might have been a, a degree of cover our tracks um, necessary here, so we're going to hopefully talk to Paul Murphy on that tomorrow. I know he's trying to bring it in front of a, in, into the order of business in the Dáil today to, to get it uh, debated, if not voted on, but we'll see and hopefully speak to him tomorrow. But for now, thanks a million for uh, all your input there, Thomas, on the on the John story and on the other topics we discussed, and we'll watch with interest the uh, the Kilmore Road situation as well. Great stuff. I appreciate that, mate. Thanks a million, Thomas. All the best. Bye-bye. It's 22 minutes past 11. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at NeilRedFM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And of course, you can join Ray Foley and Kira and Rory and uh, all the fun of the fair and all the witty banter tomorrow morning on uh, Red FM Breakfast from 6 o'clock until 9, just before we come on air ourselves. You can call the Neil Prenderville Show on 1850 You can text 0868 or you can email neil at redfm.ie. Good morning, Michelle. Morning, Mick. How are you? Good. Now, you were working before the lockdown. You got let I go. Indeed. Let go. Yep. What were you working at? Waitress. Okay. You've applied for 30 jobs. I sure have indeed. And all I have had back is two uh, saying that we don't have any positions available at the moment and that's it. But they had the courtesy of they calling you back the at least. They had contact, okay. yes, they did. Okay. It was very nice of them, but a lot of people will not reply back to people when they send out CVs. Surely most in, in the waitressing profession annoying. will be back at work now, no? They would, yes, yeah, but unfortunately I'm not back yet. And I, when, in a, as I said to Brenda, I would go back in a heartbeat in the morning if I had my job back or if I had a waitressing job to go back in the morning, I'd be gone back. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm not on the pandemic payment either. Why not? Because of other health issues, but that's neither here nor there, but I'm not on it. Okay. So, yeah, it's just quite annoying, really, that you send out TVs to employers, you email employers to look for work, you send out letters, you, you, the time and the effort of sending out TVs and doing up new CVs is very annoying. People will not come back to you. Mm-hmm. It's very annoying, it's very disheartening. It really sets your morals very low, like, you I mean, you just. You know, I've given up now. I will not send out another CV because of all the 30 CVs I've sent back, as I said, two have come back to me. Two have come back to you. What area are you living in? I'm living in Balancholic. Balancholic, okay. I just wonder, is well, there anyone hiring that would have something for you? Because you sound like you're a hard worker. I am. I work. I love my job. I love the catering industry. I worked it all my life. I worked it in for 30 years. I love dealing with people. I really love my job so mm. much that in the morning, if someone said to me, I have a job for you, I'd take it in a heartbeat. Can I have your transport? No, I don't have transport. Okay, no, so but I mean, I'm on the bus route anyway, so it makes no difference. But you're looking for something essentially in the Balancholic area or on a bus route? In the city centre or Carrigaline. City centre down, you, you can know. go as far as Carrigaline now on the, on, on the one bus as well. Yeah, you can, of course, yeah. But you know what I mean? It's so disheartening that people will not come back to you. You know what I mean? It's bad form. It's very di- undignified, really. Okay, you've even hand-delivered CVs and, and posted them as well. hand-delivered, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've hand-delivered a lot of CVs and I posted 10 CVs again last Thursday. And, and, and is, I, 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 I don't want to be, be too nosy here, but is, is whatever health condition that prevails with you, is, is that detracting from your ability to get a no. job? No, no, no. Okay. No. So, and so I'm just wondering why, why... I don't give up that easy. I just wonder why you're not getting the pandemic payment. 
I just, yeah, as I said, I can't tell you on the air. On that's that okay, no, that's fine, please don't, yeah. if it's going to be. But yeah. as I said, a lot of people have said to me, all right, that I'm over-experienced in my catering industry, but that I think you're better off taking on some that knows what they're doing than some that doesn't know what they're doing. And, and what area of the, now I know you said you're waitress, would, would you have done weddings, would you have done functions, would you have just oh, worked I in a, a restaurant? Of, did a lot of functions, VIP functions, I did a lot of catering. So it, so would, it, would a hotel be the best place for you to work then? Hotel, bar, whichever. Hotel Anything or bar doing food? Take. Okay. Yeah, I well, take look, anything now in a heartbeat. We've put it out there. It might be stronger than 30 CVs. I hope it is for you and that we get an answer. I hope it is because I said I would love to go back in the morning. Okay. But I you're, really, you're, really would. You're available to be interviewed anyway. I'm available to interview, yes, certainly. Okay. Certainly I am indeed. All right. Okay. Michelle, you never know. You never know. Today could be your lucky day. You're doing a good show and keep it up yourself and Brendan and the team. So, thanks. Yeah. thanks a million. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Mick. Bye. Cheers. Take bye. Care. Thanks. Bye bye. Now bye. to line one bye. and Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia. Hi, Mick. How are you? First of all, great job. Thank you so much for you and to you and everyone there. Um, Thank you. I just wanted to say something about this situation now with who is still on COVID payment and going on holidays. Now, I think that, you know, um, COVID payment. It's not something that the government, it's not money that the government is giving away for free. It's money that the taxpayer paid. And then whoever was on COVID payment, we need to pay to pay taxes on it later on. Yes, you will have to pay tax on it later on. But it's, I, I don't think it's money that the, uh, the taxpayer paid more than money that the, the government have borrowed that the taxpayers of the future uh, will be paying. Yeah. Yes, but... I, uh, in one way or the other, it's always coming from, the, the money is always coming from the workers. It's not that they created money. This is what I mean. Mm-hmm. And now, a lot of people have to cancel their holiday. So it means it will not be refunded because always the government didn't give, um, you know, proper um, proper lines to the, to them, for example, to Ryanair, to all the, to all the um, air services to say, look, reimburse whoever can't go on holiday because we're saying that they can't go on holiday. Yeah, you the, know what I mean? I think there's a certain amount of track covering going on here as well, because even Michael McGrath said, most of the people who had their payments stopped were leaving the country for good. I know on national radio yesterday, there was one pe- person who wasn't leaving the country for good and had to fight tooth and nail to get six weeks of COVID, COVID payment back. Um, but for instance, let's look at a segment of society that hasn't opened yet. Um, yeah, for example, the, the, all the pubs, yeah, okay. all the bartenders that are still at home, like... They are at home. They are not looking for another job because they will have a job soon, I hope. On the 10th of August, you'd hope, yeah. Technically, because uh, Leo said that it's at least that like, it will be the 10th, maybe. So it, it's not sure yet. Um, this means that they're still at home. They're not, as I said, they're not looking for another job. On the other side, when the pubs will reopen, they will not be able to get any holidays because once the pubs reopen, they will have to work God knows for how long, because yeah. it's not that you know. There, there's a lot of lost turnover to make up for when 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 the pubs reopen. Exactly, and I'm not saying you know everyone goes on everyone go on holiday abroad because it's all fine. No, but what I'm, I mean is that there should be proper and clear guidelines. Because even even I, I, I actually wanted to check more about this thing about you know go on holidays and the COVID payment, and I, I couldn't find anything online. Mm-hmm. What I mean is. I couldn't find anything official. It's only whispers. Everything was done, I, I, I would say, in secret. You know what I mean? But on the other side, the pay rise for the junior minister, it was there, no problem at all, publicized, everyone knows about it. 
do they need do they need this money right now? No, it's it's it's, it's a top up from one hundred and twenty four to one hundred and forty thousand. Um, yeah. So and look, we're not talking to, to to euros in fairness, but on the other side, you're saying that who is on COVID payment and goes on holidays has to fight for it. You yes. know what I mean? I don't. I, think I mean, if, if if a, a bartender was to go on holidays now uh, and have their payment stopped, it wouldn't be the end of the world, I suppose. I, I just wonder if their rights are being infringed. Because they're waiting for the government to allow them to go back to work. The government have told them, you're not going back to work on the 20th of July. Um, It's going to be three more weeks, 10th of August. And I know there's an overriding uh, travel advisory against going. But should you still have the right to go without losing your pants is the crux. And I think the government are really going to have to clarify that one pretty soon. Because they're going to have genuine people who can't go back to work, who don't need to look for another job. They're on PUP. Because their job and is coming back. The, the COVID payment. Because, you know, you still have rent. You still have your groceries. You still need to have something to leave them. So, yes, the COVID payment, it is essential for these workers. And they can't do nothing. They're just there. still waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. You know? And on the other side, you, you are telling them, look, if you booked an holiday, even last year for this year, I don't care. You're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. That's it. They're, they're being hit from all sides because they're, they're being offered vouchers uh, in, instead of cash back for the, the, for the flights. Uh, one listener told, well, we're flying the flight to Canada. Tough luck if uh, Canada are not allowing you in. We're not giving you any money back, but we will give you a voucher. That was British Airways. Uh, so th- there's a lot of confusion out there. Where are you from originally, Sylvia? It's a lovely accent. I, I'm Italian, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But I've been here for the last five years. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, as being a bartender here, I know how difficult it is to, you know, even get a week holiday. In hospitality, it's so difficult to get time off because you're needed. And mm-hmm. when the pubs will reopen, it will be even w- more difficult to get, you know, some time off for, for, for these guys. I don't know how they, they're going to cope with it in fairness. I feel really, really bad for them. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Thank Sylvia. You know. Thank you so much. Great to talk Thank to you. you. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now, by text on 0868104106. Hi, Nick. What that woman is saying is so true. My daughter has sent so many CVs. Employers, in most cases... Don't even acknowledge same or send a response, says Martin. Uh, another text says, tell Michelle to check out Luigi Malone's. They are fantastic to work for. Morris is on line two. Hiya, Morris. How's it going, Mick? Good. Now, you're on about the uh, welfare payments, people being blackmailed. Yeah, people are being blackmailed with their welfare payments. And I really think now we're moving into a police state of, of epic proportions. Uh, the government has no right to be stopping people leaving the state if they want to leave the state. Um, I, I can't see any reason for them to be doing that. It's, it's outrageous behaviour, really. Uh, I think, I, I, I think th- this is not government law. This, this is a tyranny. OK. Let, let me just go through one of the reports in the papers today, the Examiner front page. Uh, the overall view is that people should seek work even though they are on a pandemic unemployment payment. That's a comment from the Taoiseach. So that means if you're on the PUP and you are a worker whose job is coming back, say, in, in a bar on the 10th of August, you should still be looking for work. That's a new one on me. Anyone? Now, here's another one. Anyone on a welfare payment seeking work is in itself, uh, as a principle, isn't new. On welfare payments and on job seekers, people are obliged to seek work while on the payment. But they were never disenfranchised from their holidays before, and they seem to be now. Yes, um, th- th- that's the case. I think the worst of it all is that the judiciary are not allowing a judicial review of laws. Now, I think, I think they're exceeding their authority by doing that. Now, the Constitution allows people... 
uh, to challenge laws in this country. The judiciary are not entitled to, you know, grant leave to do this or grant, you know, John, to John Waters' case there. Like, that, that's what's wrong. Like, the judiciary are cutting off any kind of avenue of recourse and the government, the executive, is getting out of hand. We, we, we can't challenge laws. And I think if they're not careful here, like, they'll be looking at a civil uprising if they're not careful. So I, what I think they're doing, well, the Constitution says that people have inalienable rights in the Constitution antecedent to all positive law. So they have rights, and people certainly have the right to travel. So but they have, they have a right to equality, and, and even Willie yeah. O'Dea, who's, you know, who's a Fianna Fáil stalwart, has said it wasn't right and proper that one category of people who don't take the government's advice and travel should be singled out for punishment and not another. Yeah, they're treating people on welfare like second-class citizens, like uh, small little boys. I was, I was on welfare myself for a time, like, and, and, and they really treat you like a bloody prisoner. Like, the job pack thing there, like, um, was completely out of control. Like, what they were doing on job pack was, was nobody's business. Like, they were, they were, they were, you know, you had to report every 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 month, and they were going over the same ground. There were, they were, there was all sorts of stuff. I, I, I actually, I, I actually believe myself, and I can't prove this to make it all. There was actually one fella after I came out, I came out of the office, followed me back to the car, like. So they, they, they really keep, keep an unbelievable. It's like it's like they own you. If you're on welfare now, like it's like they own you. And they can dictate what you do and what you don't do. Like you're, you're like you're like a prisoner of the state. Um, I think it's what they're doing is very very bad behaviour. And I think it's illegal. It's just that the judiciary will not allow a judicial review to be taken of laws. Like which which which, which, which in other words, we're living in a fascist state. Like. Yeah, but Heather Humphreys, who's the new minister for social protection, uh, who replaced Regina Doherty, said that under normal circumstances, social welfare recipients on job seekers payments are allowed to take a two week holiday without any impact on their regular payments. However, Ms. Humphreys acknowledged that some people in receipt of PUP should start looking for work as they may may not be able to return to their former job. And so she's kind of saying, no, you you must stay and look for work. You're not entitled to your holidays. But sure, everything is kind of shut down. Like, what? Are, where, where's the argument there? Sure, everything is just stuck down. So, so there's obviously no jobs there. You, you've got a, a whole truckload of people out there kind of looking for work, looking to stay in work, uh, trying to reclaim their benefits, trying to, re- you know, their, their, their incomes and what have you. Like, it, it, it's, we're, we're not living in normal times. They, 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 they can't be insisting that people look for work when, when, when the work just isn't, isn't bloody there. Like, I mean, that's, that's the bottom line of it. Like, I mean, they, they can keep their eye out for it. But to be insisting that they have to stay rooted to the spot uh, in doing that is ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, people should seek work in many arts at Hall Martin. Hence, the numbers have been coming down steadily over the past number of months, he said. Uh, and the general rule of thumb and was the same for other welfare payments uh, recipients. These people were obliged to seek work. So if you're a bartender and you're working in ABC pub and you're, uh, you know, fully ready to go back to work on the 20th, the, go- the government pulled the rug from under you. Uh, which, as Michael McGrath said, because we want to open the schools safely, that'll be that'll go down very well with the publicans. Um, and and now you're you're working in ABC pub on the tenth of August. You're still supposed to stay in the country and look for work when you could take a week's holidays before what could be a six month uh, attendance at work, tr- trying to make back the the lost turnover. Beggar's belief. It, 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 it certainly is, and um, I, I, I can tell you, we are, we are definitely living in a place. Why, why don't this government? People have got a right to their TDs and give them hell over us. I mean, we can't live in a police state. And remember, they, they can make any laws they want now at the moment because the judiciary are not allowing judicial review of laws, and that's very, very serious. So, like, I mean, they, they're, they're forcing people to try and wear, wear, wear masks and what have you. I don't believe the government have any right whatsoever to be heading into this particular ground. There's the, there's the state, there's the individual, there's the church. And, and that's the way that there, there is a separation there between the powers. And right now, 
what's going on is really a, a tyranny. Like that, that people people are doing. They've got to be fair to people. Government is about fairness. It's it's not about tyranny. I mean, everybody knows that this this whole COVID business is in dispute. Like, not everybody agrees that this thing is as big as threat as what they're saying it is. And, and, and like, there are countless other diseases out there. They're not even mentioning, like, AIDS and TB, like, which are rife all over the world. They just want to focus on this disease, bring in all the laws that they want to treat people like dirt, uh, treat people like, like, like puppets on a string, and dictate them completely about what they can and cannot do. Now, I don't recognize any government's right to do that. Yeah, okay, and especially if they, as they seem to be taking away people's freedoms by degree. Uh, the government, of course, I suppose, to be fair to the government, they didn't really get a honeymoon period because of the protracted negotiations that everyone was so tired uh, of, you know, 140 days with, without a majority government or without, without proper uh, government functions happening in the, in the door. So they didn't get the honeymoon period, but it's been a pretty bumpy ride over the last month, hasn't it, with the... Uh, the Barry Cowan incident and now this, the social protection thing. The website was changed over the weekend to loosely reflect the new, the new look. Um, but it has, uh, to, at the very least, been embarrassing uh, for the government that some people, I'm not saying all of them because, uh, you know, some of them are leaving Ireland for good, but some people went on holidays and came back and their PUP t- payment was stopped. Yeah, it's perverse and it's wrong. They're, they're just, they, they probably cooperated with the government. They're just looking for a bit of a rest, uh, a bit of time out. Um, it's a human thing to do. And even if they go on holiday anyway, it won't be much of a holiday anyway because there'll be restrictions overseas anyway. So what are they really punishing them for? To go to Spain, uh, to be in lockdown for God knows how long and to come back then and, and get to, and get to get a knife. Into their back. No, look, yeah, obviously the buck stops with Hall Martin, but to be fair to him, he said that he's ordered an investigation into how the Department of Social Protection's website was changed over the weekend, so obviously it wasn't at his instruction. Uh, and controversy has arisen after it emerged people who flew out uh, on holidays did return to have their payments stopped, but he's also asked uh, the Data Protection Commissioner uh, to get on to the Department of Social Protection to find out exactly how it's getting this da- data uh, what was it done through the airlines, or was it done through a question of possibly Gardaí, possibly social welfare officers, randomly asking people at airports for their PPS number and running checks? Well, like, um, uh, like I've been on welfare before. Um, they, 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 I was brought before an officer. Um, they, 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 they had my passport um, details. Um, they, they seem to have open access to people. This is because, you see, uh, people were, were, you know, jumping jurisdictions to collect payments. So I brought in legislation. Uh, to 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 allow them to access to uh, their their passport file essentially about where they went there where they didn't go there because because they were drawn they were drawn uh, multiple welfare across yeah. across the one, EU. One, one final comment by text from a listener uh, for you, Morris. Uh, Hi, I booked a holiday in Portugal last year for this August for seven people. I booked the flights with Ryanair twelve hundred euros. I rang Ryanair yesterday and I need to pay to change the holiday dates to next summer 2021. I need to pay that myself. 660 euros extra to change to next year. The government are advising people not to travel and it's not fair and they want people to stay on holiday at home, says Sharon. So you feel for Sharon as well having to pay that extra money. Uh, but if she had gone and she was on PUP, she may have lost it as well. Morris, thanks for your attendance on the show and for the great points you raised. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mick. Thanks. We're going to Cove next. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Now we're going to focus on Cove for the remainder of the programme this morning. Joanna Murphy is the Vice President and Incoming President of the Cove and Harbour Chamber. Good morning, Joanna. Morning, Mick. How's it going? Great, altogether. You're also an auctioneer, of course, of some renown. Yes. 
Yes. And excited to be part of the success of Cove and how it now is thriving. T- uh, tell us all about it. Okay, well, I do feel that Cove is seriously on the crest of a wave and probably has been for the last couple of years. But definitely in the last, I suppose, two years. For me as an auctioneer in the town, I've definitely seen the town evolve dramatically with a lot of people moving into Cove, both from the city, from Dublin, from the UK, anywhere. I think that people are trying to get the, the life the life work balance right, which is what Cove is offering. Um, also being, I suppose, 25 minutes from the city is very good. We have a good train service. We have the bus, the taxis. So there's a lot of people commuting now, which is great. Okay. A lot of people working from home too, I suppose. Straight, straight to the point, I suppose. The lack yeah. of tourism this year and the lack of the 50 or 60 liners that give so much financial support to the town. Did that make the, the chamber or the tourism committee or whatever exists uh, have to really inflect and, and look at, okay, now we, you know, we really need to beef up our offering uh, and be ready for when tourism comes back? Absolutely. Well, of course, the line is not coming into Cove. It's had a huge effect, both regionally and for Cove. Because I suppose, like, when the liners come in, you'd have, you'd obviously have the crew, you'd have the passengers, you'd have the spectators coming down to see these vessels. We don't have that this year. But I have to say that Cork County Council have been amazing. I think they've been amazing to a lot of the towns in Ireland, all of the towns, should I say, by putting initiatives together. So, for example, for, for me, for Cove, like, you have the Cove and Harbour Chamber, you have Cove Teddy Towns, you have the Cove Tourism. We have come together as a group called Team Cove, whereby we have put a marketing strategy in place with Cork Council to open the town for business. So we are seeing, I mean, Cove is so busy. You come down to Cove any day of the week now, and we are busy, in con- considering that we don't have the liners coming in, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not going to be as good as when the liners are here, but we're doing well. The restaurants are doing well, all the shops are doing well. You have Spike Island, you have the Titanic Trail, the Titanic Experience, the Heritage, they're all open for business. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, yeah, I suppose the birthplace of the walking tour, really, with Michael Martin. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's the Rebel one as well. You have the, as you said, the Heritage Centre. Uh, you have uh, the Spike Island. Uh, how are Spike Island coping with social distancing on that ferry? Well, they're doing very well. I mean, I can see them actually myself from my own house queuing up alongside. So they're actually all queuing even down as far as the kiosk. So, you know, obviously you wouldn't have seen that before. They would have been mm. all clustered together. But now they have the social distancing getting into effect. And yeah, Spike Island, I would think, is doing very well. And I mean, we have the self-drive boats down here in Cove as well, run by Richard Marshall. He's doing very well because people can go as a family on the boat and go around on, you know, I suppose over by Spike and back over to the Keys, etc. So they're having an experience. And I do find that there's an awful lot for people to do in Cove that they could even do an overnighter here, which is great. So like you'd have the Water's Edge Hotel, you have the Commodore Hotel, you have the Bella Vista. There's a lot of accommodation down here and they're all doing well. Okay, it's your challenge to get them all mentioned, isn't it? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And and I know that that Noel and Margaret put an awful lot of money into the Keys. It's a fantastic Uh, waterside venue. They do great food. And of course, there's water access as well uh, with their pontoon. What about the marina that's just gone into Cove? Uh, Is is that private or a club marina or can it be be used by visitors? It's it's a club marina, but there is visitor births. I think there's about 10 visitor births there. And that has been an enormous asset for Cove and one that has been long fought for, I can tell you. So, and I mean, like even this weekend, it's gone now, Co-Sailing Club ran their, their first event, the Squib event, which was fantastic. So all the dinghies were here from, as far as Kinsale, Crosshaven, um, I think they're from Northern Ireland as well, I'm not too sure. They also, they also have the Friday night leaks going. We could have 13 boats out now on a Friday night. And I think that's a great spectacle for the harbour to see, which is great. So all the local clubs now are doing their bit. Okay. And of course, it was going to be the, uh, the subject of a fantastic air show this year. 
um, with uh, Richard McElright, but that has, yeah. uh, of course, necessarily been postponed. Also, the Royal Cork uh, 300 postponed this year. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, as one of the original sites, Hull Bolin and Cove, for the oldest yacht club in the world, that will be some celebration maybe next year, uh, a, a late one perhaps. Well, I know that Cork uh, 300, well, Cork Week is, is due to take place in 2022. So therefore, the air show could very well happen next year or that year. And mm-hmm. also, this year I was, well, I'm, I'm, I'm part of SCORE as well, is that we were running the Kingstown to Queenstown race, which the last time that that race was run was 19, sorry, 1860. So that's actually from Dunleary to Cove. But again, that's had to be shelved for this year and we'll, we'll run that now for Cork Week mm-hmm. 2022. So yeah, look, I mean, obviously this year is devastating for a lot of people because they put so much effort into so many different events. But it is what it is and the main thing is that everyone's well and that everyone can at least open for business and we just have to manage with what we have. Okay, forgive me for saying Cove has had yeah. a reputation for where it's a very handy place to get a parking ticket. <laughs> well, there's no parking tickets at the moment, which is good. So um, we actually have, I, I do feel there's a lot of parking in Cove, but yeah, we're putting up proper signage now to, to show people where the parking is. So like we'd have the Cathedral Car Park, five foot away. There is parking along the town. Obviously, there's no meters in place at the moment, but there will be. Um, I do think there's enough parking where geography of Cove is not like... Yeah, it's like y'all, it's a one-sided town. Yeah, it's, it's on the know. sea, but that's its benefit as well, really, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, look, I do think people are making the best of what they can. And I mean, you're from Cove, Mick, so you, I'm sure you're coming down to Cove to see your, you know. All the, all the time. I, I grew up in a kind yeah. of different Cove, though. It, 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 since I left, it did get a bit of a reputation of being a bit of a rough town. I'm sure you contend that that's not the case. Well, that absolutely fries my head because it's not. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm from the city myself. I'm living here now 13 years. I go for a walk every single night at 8.30 and I walk all the way around the town and I come home. That for me is, I mean, you, you can't get that in a lot of areas, you know. So, and I do feel that every town is going to have obviously a bit of trouble. Every town, every city. But the Gardaí down here in Cove are fantastic and they're on it. And I do feel that Cove has become a lot more cosmopolitan in the last couple of years. Obviously, we have an influx of new people. So that's, you know, for me, that it is improving all the time, which is great. Okay, the five-foot way is resplendent now. It used to be kind of a kind of a decaying place where you'd walk, you know, maybe now and again. But now it's really, really tempting. You've got, well, of course, you've got the Garda station there. You've got the playground there. You've got the Numerina there. You know, you've got uh, Coast Sailing Club there. Uh, and yeah. there's lots happening between Cove and White Point now. Absolutely. I mean, like, I, I suppose, you know, for me going for a walk every night, I'd always go along the, 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 the front of the town down to the five-foot way. It's like, I mean, you could be anywhere. If the sun is shining, you could be in Marbella. But it's just, it, it is amazing. I do like it. And I feel that a lot of people even drive down from Cork City to go for a, lo- a walk along the five-foot way. And obviously when the liners are in, it's another spectacle for them. Well, we all know Cork City has the Norries and the Sorries and Cove. It's the East Enders and the West Enders, isn't well, it? Well, I'm from Montanati, so I don't know oh. about that. <laughs> Well, you'd, you'd be a Norrie then, but I suppose all, all Cove people are Norries anyway because the because the, the, the river flows south of their town. <laughs> no, there's no Norries out there. So, no, uh, no, will there be a regatta this year? Um, I don't know. I put, there won't be an actual Cove regatta, no, but the, I think there, probably, there could be a bit of sailing, I would think. I hope there is anyway. Um, I think everyone's just kind of going to feel their feet as they're going along, but there's definitely no big Cove or Gatta anyway. That's cancelled. Yeah, so co- co- Cove is open for business. I once counted, Joanna, 27 closed businesses between the uh, the top of the hill there where, where the garage was, the where the old municipal building or whatever it's called, and the, and yeah, the bench yeah. and the bench over at uh, the end of Harbour Road. Now, that's not the case. No, it's not. We've had, I think there's been three new businesses open. So you have a seamstress, we have a new bakery open in Harbour Row. Um, 
All right. Oh, yeah, and the kiosk. You know the kiosk there yes. in, the, in, in the middle of the town. That's um, my old buddy, John Griffin, isn't it? Yeah, he did a fab job. The place is amazing. So he does coffee now and crepes, and he's seating outside. Cove, is, it, it's a really nice place. I mean, for me, I go down to the, the markets on a Friday. The promenade is busy. Everyone can take their cup of coffee from, from, from the different venues. And I have to say, Mick, even during the pandemic, right, this is one thing I noticed. There is 14,000 people living in Cove now. 14,000 people that couldn't go anywhere. And they were, they were in Cove and they got to know the town that they were living in. Okay. The I'm going to play a song about Cove to finish up. Well, a song about one of its really? most famous sons. Uh, some people love him, some people hate him. A little bit of a controversial figure. There's a bar in town named after him as well. But I will say about this song, never in less than three minutes has a life been described so well uh, and so eloquently by Jimmy McCarthy. The song is called The Contender. It's written about Jack Doyle. Joanna Murphy, uh, incoming president of the Cove and Harbour Chamber, thank you very much for enticing us to come to Cove. <laughs> thank Thanks. You. Good morning. Bye-bye. Here's Jimmy Mack. I was young and I was in my day Sure I'd steal what woman's heart there was away And I'd sing into the dawning Song ablaze into the morning Long before I was the man you see today I was born beneath a star that promised all I could have lived my life without Cassandra's call But the wheel of fortune took me From the highest point she shook me By the bottom lift, by the bottom I shall fall When I die, I'll die a drunk down on the street He will count me out to ten and clear defeat Wrap the starry flower round me Let the pipers air resound me There I'll rest until the Lord of love I'll meet Jack Doyle is the subject of that song. Jimmy McCarthy, the original version of a song also done by Christy Moore called The Contender. My thanks to our senior producer, Brenda Dennehy, today. She stood to her post through a massive earache, so well done to you. Go home and lie down for yourself. Uh, also, of course, ably assisted by Seamus Wheelahan and Mark Willington. That was the Neil Prendival Show for this Tuesday, the uh, 28th of July. We're back tomorrow morning after news at 9. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.